Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to GTP Keeper Radio. My name is Buddy Buscemi. I am here with my co-host, Bill Stagel, episode number 32. It is 7 o'clock Eastern Daylight Time here on the East Coast, and we are back for yet another show this year, Bill. Buddy, it's unbelievable. I was just uh, doing the math. 32 episodes, 10, ye- 10 years, something like that? Something That's like roughly that, yep. three episodes. That's roughly 3.2 episodes a year. Yeah, that, 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 you, you have great math skills. <laughs> I said roughly because I wasn't sure, but I think that's right. Yeah, about three episodes a year. That's, that's, uh, that's pretty impressive, I think. Yeah, me too. I think at this rate, we might have an, an above average year maybe. If we can squeeze in four this year, it would be unbelievable. Making a lot of people happy, Bill. That's that's why we're here. Well, speaking of monster productions and episodes, I don't know if you were aware of this or not, but our boys Eric and Owen over at NPR, Marilla Python Radio, recently celebrated their 500th episode of NPR. Incredible. 500. 500. They've been cranking these things out uh, consistently every week now for, they started, I don't know, a couple years before we did, right? Yes. Unbelievable. I got to, I got to pop on the 500, I got to pop on the 500th episode for about 10 minutes and just tell those guys congratulations and uh, to thank them for really what they've done for the community uh, for, you know, for over a decade. So, uh, you know, congratulate them again on our platform. Yeah, that's amazing. And the super, super nice guys, uh, fun to hang out with. And they've also have inspired a whole, I wouldn't say, uh, yeah, I guess I would say a network, a network of similar shows that they are involved with as well. Colubrids and Bellas and, uh, monitors yeah, they, and Australian herping. Yeah. 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 They, they do it all. And they, I think they've inspired other people, you know, to, to create their own platforms and, you know, they, it was kind of revolutionary when they did it. There was just maybe another podcast or two uh, out there at the time. And now, you know, there's just, um, you, you just, the information available now and, and 
this these platforms, social media platforms and podcasts and YouTube and all that is just uh, it's it's enormous. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of we have them to thank for a lot of that. You aren't kidding. There is they have so many great just chondro only episodes in their archives. Um, if you have never they listened do. to Morelia Python Radio, uh, you should listen to the Rico Water interview on Morelia Python Radio, and you should listen to the Terry Phillip interview on Morelia Python Radio. Uh, Rico for just historical purposes. And Terry, for just bringing a new mindset, especially to me personally, about how we approach husbandry for keeping green tree pythons. So a lot of, a lot of great stuff on, on their, their network. Absolutely. And, um, you know, our what we – we try to do on the show is to get, get our guests on as quick as possible because people are really not that interested in what you and I have to say. <laughs> but I was talking to Keith before the show, and I was talking to you. I do have a couple of things that I want to mention uh, before we bring Keith on. And uh, the first one was really uh, an amazing adventure that I got to participate in. Uh, it's been about a month ago now where uh, a person by the name of Justin Kabolka and his social media uh, person, Summer Grace, yes, he, he has a full-time social media person. Well, they are uh, involved in Justin's um, business, reptile business called Canova. And uh, Justin Kabolka has for many years now kind of been the upper echelon in the ball python community as far, not as far as numbers, but as far as crazy projects, production, um, leading edge, double and triple recessive combos, and he, he he's making these crazy, crazy ball python uh, combos. And you know, a lot of people really look up to him in in that community. And he was gracious enough to invite myself, uh, Gary Chiavino, and Marshall Mendez out to visit uh, him for the weekend, tour his facility, and just kind of hang out and. Um, and a friend of, of all of ours uh, named MJ Juarez, uh, who's, a, who's a big social media influencer uh, person, uh, also came out there and did a lot of the filming and participated. And I just wanted to share what an incredible experience that was uh, with Justin. Justin's got uh, a million-dollar facility uh, on his property that is just cutting-edge stuff. And he is now getting into stuff other than ball pythons is, is the reason that he had myself, Gary, and Marshall out there primarily. Uh, he's got – he's amassing a nice collection of arboreal stuff. He's got a pair of adult uh, Boland's pythons, and he is starting to collect some green trees. So he had us out there to tour his place. We had a phenomenal time, and uh, I just wanted to let people know that he was, he was very gracious – and, um, you know, a lot of, I think our listeners, when they hear people in the ball Python community, they kind of, you know, get a pit in their stomach about lots of different reasons. And I'm not going to go into that, but I will just say that Justin is an outstanding representative of their community. And I think we're very lucky to have him, I think, going to start 
coming into our community. And, um, you know, I think only good things can, can happen from that. Very good. Very good. I'll have to, I actually, Bill, you asked me if I knew this person and I'm embarrassed to say I don't. So I'm going to have to do a little research and see what I can read about this person. Yeah. I mean, you know, you just don't travel in that, uh, you know, in, in that community and in that circle, which, which is fine. I do, you know, I've been doing ball pythons for, uh, you know, over 20 years. So I know Justin, I, I, I didn't know him well until recently um, when he decided to, to start getting into some of the arboreal stuff. And so, uh, you know, we've had some good communications. He's gotten an animal from me. He's gotten an animal from Gary. He's got an animal from Ryan Glenn. And maybe more important than any of that, he just ordered some unbelievable caging um, from our friends over at Focus, Focus Q Habitat, Stephen and Ashley Howdy, um, that they will be delivering later next month. And he, he's going to put together an incredible uh, display, an incredible arboreal collection. He's doing it the right way. He's going slow. He's, I think, getting advice from some reputable people. And, you know, I think you don't know who he is now, but you're, you will, you will know his name in the future. Maybe he'll come on and be a guest. Yeah, I think, uh, I think he would be, I think that'd be a great idea. I think just let him, uh, you know, get a little more experience and let it, let him get his feet wet. But he's, uh, this guy, he's very polished he, and he, and he's just a good guy. He's, uh, you know, I, I had, I had never really involved myself in the ball python community on any kind of significant level um, because quite frankly a lot of the upper echelon people in that community when I got in they were kind of douchebags and I I didn't really have any desire to involve myself in the community but the the newer uh, and the upcoming uh, kind of uh, leaders in their community people like Justin um, they're different uh, at least I've found them to be different. Um, so, you know, I think good things are going to come of it. I think he'd be happy to come on our show uh, eventually and, you know, again, be kind of a bridge between communities. Wonderful. The other thing that I wanted to touch on quickly, which kind of um, uh, kind of rolls off that, I mentioned that one of the people that came up there, you obviously know uh, Gary and Marshall very well. They, you know, they've been a pillar of our community for a very long time, and they're they're personal friends to you and myself, and uh, a lot of people that listen to this podcast. Uh, but I mentioned the other person that attended. His name's MJ Juarez, and um, MJ is just crushing it on social media on on multiple platforms. He's an influencer. He's got a podcast called Trap Top. Uh, trap talk on youtube and he's getting ready to release episode number 226 so you know he, he's hitting it hard he's all over the country he just got back from canada and uh his primary focus or his, his audience are primarily fall python people but mj has developed a craving and an addiction for arboreal species as well so he has been doing a really good job i think uh promoting arboreal species into people that you and I in this, in our platform, GK Keep Radio, uh, would not be able to reach. So I wanted to kind of give a shout out to him and to his podcast, Trap Talk. And uh, another kind of corollary off of the corollary is tomorrow night, he is having Alex Warren on as his guest. 
and I don't even know if you know that name, buddy. Alex Warren um, has been working with me as kind of my apprentice since I moved into our new facility here three years ago. And uh, so okay. Alex is a great is a great guy. He's at my place uh, can religiously two days a week, longer if I'm out of town or if I need extra help. He is has been a godsend to me, and he is amassing uh, quite a collection of arboreal. Uh, green trees and uh, and emeralds, and he is going to be on MJ's Trap Talk podcast tomorrow night. So uh, you know, I would encourage anybody that's interested, our listeners, to uh, to find that podcast and listen to some of the stuff that Alex is doing. And uh, Alex is um, uh, you, you can find him under Amazing Arboreals on Instagram. MJ is uh, on Facebook as Michael Juarez, um, and, you, you, and, and, and MJ also has a big presence on Instagram, uh, MJ Exotics Cartel. So give those guys at least a listen or be on the lookout for those guys. Listen to podcast tomorrow, and uh, so I'm finished with my I'm finished with with my my rant. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's the that's the most that's the most I've talked in two years. That's okay. That's why it's a two hour show. Well, it was it, it, it was a great uh, it was a great visit with Justin and um you know, I'm excited about MJ kinda of funny, he produced his first clutch of green trees this year. Maybe his second. Maybe I think he had I think he had maybe a small one last year, but maybe none of the babies survived. He produced a small clutch this year. Um, it was Biak to Biak. He ended up with three viable babies. Of course, one of them was one of the worst runners I've ever seen. I was actually at his place uh, six, seven weeks ago out in uh, San Diego. A terrible runner. He had two that were well-established, eating great, maybe eight weeks, maybe after six, seven meals, one of them prolapses. So he's getting a good dose oh, of no. what it is to become a – to become a, a green tree breeder, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Stick with it, MJ. <laughs> yeah, he's it. he's doing good. He's doing good. He's uh, all learning you know, experience. It it is, and he's he's learning uh, quite a bit this year. Very good. So I have two real brief things, Bill, to talk about. So I, okay. I was uh, about a month ago, I was out of town uh, with my youngest son, and I left my oldest son in charge of the snake collection, which is a good thing because he knows what he's doing. And yeah. um, the Tuesday that uh, I left on the Saturday, so Tuesday we had some very nasty storms come through, and obviously uh, as a result we lost power which isn't a big deal. The generator, you know, did its thing. Um, but my wife called me and said, hey, the generator should be running the air conditioner, right, and the bathroom and, our, and the lights in our main bathroom. And and uh, I'm like, yes, they should be, but maybe there's, you know, who knows, maybe something's wrong with the generator or something in the, the switch box. Um, so when power was returned, those items remained off, and then my son got a hold of me, the next day and said, hey, there's multiple uh, thermostats in the in the snake area that are no longer functioning. Oh, and wow. So, 
Yes. Yes. And so then we lost okay. power again <laughs> for well, because they had to turn power off to remove the trees that were down and on the lines. Um, so so I re- came home on a, the following Saturday, and my son had sent me a photo on Friday saying, hey, I think this one female is starting to ovulate. And sure enough, I come home Saturday. She's ovulating. She hasn't had heat since um, the Tuesday, so four or five days without any heat for that for that animal. What, 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 the good thing is, what temps? Like like what temperatures was was she at? You said no heat, but what? what but it worked out well because we did not have air conditioner. Um, yeah. The, the area where I keep the snakes were like seventy eight degrees, so okay. it was fine. Yeah, not everybody, everybody was fine. Yeah, yeah, nothing, nothing tragic. So she ovulated. And then I had the uh, joyous experience of trying to replace thermostats for my snake area. So it's, I still have many more that need to be replaced. So I'm, I'm kind of running things the way I normally like to have a thermostat control each cage. Right now I have cages at the same level being controlled at the same thermostat, but hopefully within the next week or two I will be back completely to where I was. Uh, we actually re- – and so the cause of our damage was we had a lightning strike, and it took out the one – essentially the one side of our of our, of our uh, utility box. So that's how that goes. Wow. It sounds like you were that's lucky. All, that's uh, all, those are my updates. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds like you – I mean, so you didn't lose any animals? Uh, no. You know, you, I know you, you lost equipment, but no animals. No animals. No animals. Wow. Well, well, I think uh, I, I consider yourself quite fortunate. Me too. Me too. And it wasn't the well, entire, every thermostat, not every thermostat was wiped out. It was about half of them. So. That's still a lot to replace in these uh, supply chain issue challenging times. Yes. Yep. But fingers crossed, Bill, hopefully within the next couple of weeks I'll be back up. Everybody will have their own their own thermostat, and they'll all be happy again. Well, congratulations on the ovulation. Thank you. Oh, fingers crossed, yeah. you know, the, the, she lays eggs okay and everything's fertile and all that stuff. So a, a long way I never, from. I never figured out you East Coast guys in, in, in these summer ovulations. I just, I just don't get it. I can't wrap my head around it. Yeah, I don't know. This was uh, I had a, this female produced for me. Um, well, actually, strangely enough, uh, in 2013 during ICAST, the uh-huh. the the mother that produced this female ovulated during ICAST. Oh my God! Strangely so enough, you, yeah, yep. Just, just so, got um, just, just, <laughs> that's crazy. <laughs> So this female producer for me in, in two, I prepared her in 2018. She was five, first time, and she produced a, a, a clutch. It was it was small, it was like seven or eight babies. Um, but I've tried her. I tried her. You know, I gave her a year or two off, and then I've I've tried her multiple times again, and nothing has been working. So this time I was like, I'm going to do a spring. I'll do a spring in the summer pairing, and and so far it's worked. So. You know, my fingers are crossed that we have fertile eggs and, you know, maybe in October, if I'm counting correctly. So we'll see. Well, very good. I'm glad to hear things things worked out. 
Me too. All right, let's get our boy on. All right, let's do it. Keith Flax, welcome to GTP Keeper Radio. Hey guys, how's it going? Some of that sound. My people yep. ready for me. <laughs> yeah, it, studio, it's going studio's well. Studio's packed. Studio's packed <laughs> <laughs> Hey, I just want to say before we go anywhere, it's an honor. It's an honor to be on this show with you guys. Uh, big fan of both of your work over the years, and uh, like I said, it's just it's a great thing. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank, thank you very much, Keith. Thank you. Yeah, we you sure do, and thanks for coming on, taking taking a couple hours out of your Sunday night. We appreciate that. Anytime. So let me do a little introduction about Keith. If, if you are on social media, particularly on Facebook, um, and you hopefully are in most of the Green Tree Python forums or rooms or whatever you want to call them on, on that social media platform, you cannot help right. but notice that our friend Keith, our guest tonight, has produced many condor clutches this past year. And it seems like every time for me I was on you know, scrolling through Facebook, uh, you know, Keith is p- posting a photo of a snake that had just laid eggs and there's babies hatching. And I think it might have been Harlan Wall maybe had said that you were single-handedly um, going to fill the gap of uh, captive-bred babies that the folks from Indo aren't going to be able to keep up with. So <laughs> thank you for all your hard work. I got, I got a kick out of that comment. That was funny. Uh, that That is funny. I didn't see that, but that's awesome. <laughs> Keith, um, you know, uh, why, why don't you let, let us let the listeners know uh, how you were introduced to chondros? Kind of, let's let's start getting into some of your background because nobody just shows up and produces, uh, you know, three healthy chondro uh, clutches in a year. So, kind of, what, what's your background with that? Well, I um, I've always been fascinated by. Green tree pythons and emerald tree boas. When I was a kid, you know, I, I was always into snakes. Matter of fact, uh, growing up on Long Island, I used to catch garter snakes all the time. I think one day I caught like twelve, fifteen in one day, and I maybe keep them for a little bit and let them go. And uh, I, I got my first pet snake from the pet store. Believe it or not, it was a gopher snake when I was like eight years old. Mm. And so it was kind of a childhood thing, just getting into snakes. And then I kind of got out of it for a while. I didn't have snakes for many, many years. And then uh, when I got back into it. I, I thought, I'm going to try to find a green tree python somewhere. I didn't even know they were available. I didn't know much really about them, except that I wanted one or I was fascinated by them. And I was at a show in Jacksonville in 2008 at Repticon, which, by the way, is the worst place to buy green tree pythons. <laughs> I learned the hard way. Um, but I was just blown away seeing one, in, like, in, in, you know, in real life. I was like, oh, my God, i got to have this thing. So I, I bought it. And uh, needless to say, it wound up getting sick, had respiratory infections and so forth and so on, and the snake bit the bullet finally. And it took me a few times to figure out, after losing a few more, buying at shows or trying to save money, that, you know, i got to get a hold of a breeder. i got to find someone that breeds these things and get a captive-born and bred one. And um, Which, again, I wish I would have figured that out in the first place. And I always tell people, you know, don't, don't go through what I went through, you know. Um, so anyway, um, I, I wound up with a, 
an arrow. Oh no, it was an animal produced by John Lecky. Are you guys familiar with him? Oh, very, very much. Uh, it was JL JL twelve eighteen, and I put that snake in with a um, a, a biak that was purchased at a show that I actually got lucky with. So that was my first breeding experience, but that didn't happen until, like I said, I went through trials and tribulations from 08, probably around till 2015 before I finally had a pair of snakes I could actually breed. And wow. since that year, yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I learned the hard way and yeah, yeah I'm sure you guys like, have heard all the nightmare stories. We have, I mean, you know, it's, it seems like almost every guest we have on here has followed, you know, in a path similar to yours. It sounds like you, you know, you learned a lot the hard way. Did you have any like mentors during this period, or you were just you just going to replicons and letting roll the yeah. dice? And... During those first few years, no mentors, and you know, I wasn't in any of the groups, so I was just kind of just trying to figure everything out on my own. And um, and again, you know, just learning from experience. And it wasn't until, like I said, I got my first captive born and bred animal. Then I got another one from uh, Gary Schiavino, actually. Um, got a nice arrow sarong that's produced. Uh, she's actually got her second clutch cooking right now. I'm about wow. maybe 10 days out from those hatching, which I'm going to be a nervous wreck. I'm going to Daytona this weekend for the big show, and, and they're only going to be like about four <laughs> days out from hatching. So I'm going to be a nervous yeah. wreck leaving these eggs sitting here with no one to look over them. I, I, you know I, can the, the of, I, can, I can guarantee you they're going to hatch while you're gone. I've been holding on it right now. I guarantee it. Oh, my goodness. I think that would be just a little premature because we're looking at day 50 is supposed to be not this Wednesday, but the Wednesday of the following week, which I'll be wow. back by then. So, day 50. But, yeah, watch him go early. Why, oh, my goodness. You know. <laughs> well, obviously, anyway, yeah, I, we look forward to seeing that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, you know, like I said, I, I, I got some captive-born and bred animals, and then all of a sudden – I got into Facebook groups. I started meeting people, talking to people. And speaking of Gary, he was very helpful with me getting started. Um, he, we sat on the phone for a long time. Just he was giving me, you know, all of what to do, the, the temperature, you know, straight bake this, and you know, uh, and and uh, so I had, a, you know, I had Gary. I had a few other guys. I don't know if you guys know uh, David Haston. Yep, absolutely. We know David. Yeah. Yes, we do. Yeah, he. He spent, we had hour-long uh, messaging back and forth, just going over all the details about, you know, what to use and how to, how to cook the eggs and the proper incubation techniques and all that. He was so, extremely helpful. Um, as a matter of fact, he taught me, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of this, uh, it's called the hatch right soup, where in, uh, in the sim container, instead of just using water, he, he used uh, maybe half water and half hatch right, where the hatch right would just kind of float on top of the water. Yeah. And uh, that's what I've been using since, and that, that I picked up from David. What's the purpose of that other than just straight water? What, what does it do? Well, I'll tell you what. It gets rid of the splash factor. You know, if you're, if okay. you're a little uh, – you're moving the tub around, taking it out to check the eggs and whatnot, you don't have to worry about the water splashing around as much if you've got that hatch right in there because it it's, uh, keeps you from doing that. Okay. And gotcha. Anyway, it's, it's it's something that he recommended, and I, like I said, I did it the first time, and I've been doing it ever since. And um, of course, the first time I hatched out chondros, 
I wound up with two good eggs that went up going the distance, and uh, only one hatched, and then that snake died about a month later. That was my first experience breeding condors. Oh, no. Pretty typical. So you were talking about you were talking about MJ Juarez, you know. <laughs> yeah. I know what yeah. I know what he's going through. Um, I've been on his show, yeah. by the way. This is my second podcast, so he was, it was actually my first one, and he's oh, he's shit. great to work you... with on that. No, I, I didn't yeah, that even know that. How, how did I miss that? Yeah, that was about a that was a while back, and I don't know if it was his trap talk. I think he had another show at that time he was doing besides trap talk. Yeah. Well, he was doing a show with um with it was Desiree, Desiree and Stephen. Yeah, yeah, yeah and Stephen. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I was on that okay. show, whatever that one was. Yeah. I think it was unfiltered or something like that, maybe. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, I know okay. what he's going through because he, he just hatched out his first clutch. And, uh, you know, uh, it, it, can, it can really discourage you when you're first getting started doing this. Um, you just got to, you know, bounce back. The old saying, you know, you know fault the horse, got to get right back on it, you know. And yeah. that's what I did the following year. And I, I actually had better luck the second time around. Uh, I think I hatched out like 17 or 18 of them the second time around. And um, and then after that, I had a, a couple of dry spells for a year, two years, and then I bounced back again in 2020 with a nice clutch. Last year, 2021, with a nice uh, Cyclops Manaquari clutch. And this year is my biggest year yet. Um, two clutches hatched already, and I got the third clutch in the incubator right now. So it's de- it's definitely been quite a ride for me and I'm uh, just excited that I've gotten this far with this. Well, we, we, we definitely want to get into those clutches and um, your, you know, your breeding uh, techniques and your husbandry, but uh, why don't you start by, tell us what your collection is now. Like what, what do you have uh, adult wise? And I know you've got some, some babies right now, but have you held some back some stuff that you produced in the past? Like, what are you working with? Okay, let's start. The nice thing about uh, having the hands free and being on the phone doing this show is I can actually walk around and because I don't think I can name them all <laughs> off the top of my head. I got to do a little tour here. Um, yeah, sure. As far as my uh, my main, I got of course the Arrow Sarong female, which this is her second clutch currently incubating. John Lucky male, which she's actually sired. I want to say three clutches for me now. Um, so he's about 10 years old. And then I've got the, uh, the kids from some of these clutches. Um, right. I've got from, 20, from 2017 animals I produced, I've got five holdbacks, uh, three males, two females. And one of the males is, uh, is uh, actually sired the clutch that's cooking right now with the Arosarong. And okay. two, of the females from that, two of the females from that clutch both produced for me already now. Those were the two clutches that hatched earlier this year. And nice. I've got a Cyclops animal from Ryan Burke, a clockwork reptiles, which is a Bushmaster animal. Uh-huh. And this guy is like, he, he gets the stud of the year award. He, uh-huh. uh, I, I, I bounced him back and forth between two female siblings um, earlier in the year, and he basically got them both to, to produce eggs for me. So... Stud of the year for this guy. I love it. And he produced last year for me, too, the Manaquari uh, Cyclops. Um, let's see what else I got here. As we look around, yeah, like I said, the uh, the holdbacks, I think that's pretty much most of my adults. I've got a, a two other males. I've got a high yellow male that I held back from that year, and I've got a very uh, – 
highly melanistic, like lots of black on this on this one right here I'm looking at, which is also one I held back. And then of course, um, from the set, after the 17 holdbacks, I went 18 and 19 with nothing, two dry years in a row, and then bounced back in 2020. And I've got one, two, three, four, five holdbacks from that clutch that are now two years old. Okay. And uh, I'll tell you an interesting story about that clutch uh, as far as prolapses. Um, mm. You know, we've all dealt with prolapse, you know. Uh, in fact, Gary Schiavone, he, he had a funny joke about it. You know, what's the difference between emeralds and, and uh, green tree pythons? One regurges and one prolapses. <laughs> That's the answer <laughs> on that, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, consistently, yeah. Yeah, but anyway, uh, that's another story I could tell you. An interesting thing about the prolapse situation there. Um, one of them was a real chronic prolapser, and mm. needless to say, I've got a lot of experience putting putting those uh, prolapses back in. I've gotten pretty good at it, but it's it's not something I'm I'm proud of that you want to have to keep doing all the time. But um, this this poor snake, and I would just wait weeks and weeks, give it the tiniest little meal it would still prolapse. Maybe it might go one time without prolapse, and then you give it the next meal prolapse. And this went on and on and on. And, wow. Uh, the this, this snake has now uh, been holding down meals, and they're getting bigger and bigger now, and uh, no problems now. It hasn't prolapsed, I think, since last, like, October, November, so almost a year without a prolapse now. And the interesting oh, thing I, was I was going yeah. to put this snake down because I just think it's yeah. not going to make it. And it's all skinny, you know, because I couldn't feed it a decent-sized meal. And one day I just gave it a little bit bigger size meal. I said, you know, I'm just going to go ahead and try to get some nourishment in this animal. It's probably going to prolapse anyway. I'm going to just give it a bigger one. Gave it the bigger size meal, no prolapse. Oh, interesting. Real interesting. You know, I was, I was talking to uh, Harlan Wall about You guys are familiar with Harlan, I'm sure, right? I was talking to him about it and uh, came up with this little theory that maybe if there's nothing in the bowel – the meal's so small, and they're trying to push it out too hard. Maybe it was prolapsing because of that. Maybe that it finally had a decent-sized meal. <laughs> Go figure. But I, anyway, these are just hunches, theories. Sure. You learn something new from these guys all the time. I think uh, Buddy has more experience than I do, but I can say, and, again, I've dealt with my fair share number of prolapses, but almost every one that I can think of prolapsed once, I reduced it, you know, maybe it took a couple of times over a couple of days or whatever, but then it, right. it never prolapsed again. Huh. Uh, so I've, I have not dealt with a chronic prolapse or have you seen that buddy? I personally have not built, I'm going to knock on wood. So yeah, oh, it's, it's I've, the worst. I've, yeah. uh, I've always, I've, I've only dealt with six, maybe six prolapses keeping chondros. So I'm, I'm knocking wow. some wood here. For sure. Yeah, it's 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 no fun, you know, and it's just and they're so fragile, especially with the little Leos when you try to reinsert that, you know, it's just it's just nerve rattling. Um, but you know, one thing I learned, which is kind of interesting, is uh, when they go through their color change, you know, it's not really so much based on the age uh, of the snake. It's 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 based on their growth. Because all the other siblings turned green, the other four siblings I'm looking at right now turned green almost a year ago. This little one that's still behind them now that's catching up is still yellow, and it's two years old. Mm. I've, yeah, I've noticed that too. The uh, kind of the runts or the ones uh, less, you know, slower to get established can have a delayed uh, 
uh, color change. Yeah, yeah. But man, like I said, I used to think it was based on age, but it's really based on growth, from what I see. So, um, Keith, would you say that? So, it sounds like you're primarily working with and producing locality crosses. So, is that is that accurate? Yeah, and I'm, I'm sorry, I got caught up with that. Uh, I know well, I was supposed okay. to be telling you all about the rest of the snakes in the collection. The rest of oh, them no, you are. Did. Well, there was one one batch I left out. There was the uh, the ones that just hatched back in April. Um, I've got 17 neos that are just now getting the hang of eating after the grueling feeding trials. <laughs> Another thing that could drive a person nuts real fast. What would you and, say? Uh, what, what, what's been your, like, one of your favorite locale? What's been one of your favorite pairings? Like the babies have come out and you just said, wow, that's a great, that's a great pairing. That's a great crossing of localities. I got to say the, the Cyclops metaphor. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of what I was, kind of what I was thinking. Was that, was that red just to red? Just bizarre. Just what's that? Was that a red to red pairing? Both those. It was, it uh, was actually red. a, uh, the, the the dam was a yellow uh, Neo and the Cyclops sire was a red. Okay, and so what I got about a little, the baby? Little half and half. Babies half and came half, out okay. mixed about half and half. Yeah, yep. Okay, all right. And great. I've got some that are uh, uh, really wild looking. Uh, I can't remember the name uh, Gary was using to describe some Arfac, I guess. Are you familiar with those? Yeah. Yeah. They look Arfac. like I got two of them that look like his Arfac animals. Okay. And it came out from the Manticore Cyclops. Very cool. I mean, I, I'm not surprised. Like all those are considered Highland type uh, localities, right? I'm, I'm certainly no locality expert, but, but yeah, those those little guys. Uh, I, I've got six of those. I held back. Um, I have one that's got like a little dip in the, in its spine. Like if you go down, if you rub your finger along the spine in the back, it kind of dips down and comes back up. Have you guys ever seen that happen in baby chondros? I've, buddy, I mean, I've seen it in adults. I've seen that spine, that spinal defect in adults. I don't know if it's the same thing that you're describing. Yeah, they, they, they were born like that, and um, so I, I held them mm-hmm. back. So I'm obviously not going to sell them like that. And they, they, it doesn't seem to affect the health at all. I mean, they're strong feeders. They, they defecate regularly, shed regularly, and uh, they're growing. So it's nice. kind of curious to see how that's going to pan out, if I maybe huh. keep them for breeders, as long as it's not hereditary, which I don't think it is. But like I said, you learn all kinds of stuff. When uh, you know, I had uh, the first clutch that I hatched out this year, it was 11 eggs, and seven of them were deformed. And some of them went full term, oh, wow. and I only, got four, I only got four babies out of that. And I don't know what caused it, because the other clutch that was also cooking in the same incubator at the same temps, all those came out fine. Yeah, you, you, you never know, but it certainly points to, uh, you know, when, when you have that kind of control uh, incubation. You know, I always think incubation can be an issue, but when you have control like that, then you, then you start to think, well, maybe, you know, it was just a genetic issue. Yeah, you know. yeah. But, um, it's, yeah, nothing, it's just amazing. Nothing surprises okay. me anymore. You, you know, nothing surprises me. It, you know, I, I hatch, uh, I, I hatch so many baby snakes every year, um, other than green trees. I mean, I've seen some crazy stuff come out and uh, like you're talking about, like, well, why are, why is the entire clutch 
blind. They're all missing both eyes, you know, right oh, next yeah, to a, yeah. right next to eight other clutches in the same incubator and all the babies going, why did this clutch, you know, they all came out with one eye or blind. It's like, man, that's, same that's just crazy. Same isn't it? Yeah. The same thing happened with me before. was, I had a couple with no eyes and one, just one eye it was like all twisted up and just crazy stuff, man. Yeah. Unbelievable. And then, and then I'll repeat the pairing the next year, and all the babies are fine, you know? So, you know, I don't know. Yeah. It's just, I mean, it's just weird. It's the mysteries of breeding chondros. Or, or breeding snakes or, you know. Right. Genetics, biology, yeah, yeah. yeah, you know, just, yeah. It, I think most of the time, you know, we don't, the answer is we don't know. You know, when I, when my first clutch came out, um, I was so paranoid that the second clutch was going to wind up like that. And, and I was blown away that the second clutch was okay. I, I just didn't make yeah. sense. I was, like, oh, I was expecting the worst. Is it going to happen to them too? I thought it maybe was some kind of spike in the, uh, I was having some issues with my thermostat. I actually had to replace the thermostat mid-incubation. So I, I was thinking, did that cause the problem? Mm-hmm. I was just totally racking my brain over this. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I can see where that would, yeah, that would make me nervous too. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. It seems like even under the best uh, scenario, the best condition, things can go wrong. And then we start, you know, messing up like, oh, my thermostat went out or my heat went out or my power went out. You know, all that just yeah, like yeah. compounds it even worse. Yeah, that's uh, that's always my biggest nightmare, too, being here in Florida, you know, with a lot of, lot of thunderstorms all the time and power goes out in this house, you know several times a summer. I've been lucky this summer, I should knock on wood. But I went out and got one of those little, uh, it's uh, it's one of those little portable batteries, EcoFlow, what is it called? You know, you know what I'm talking about? No, I, I, I don't know what you're talking yeah. about. But what is it yeah. power? What is it power? I'm sorry? What is it power? Like when your power goes out, what does it do? Well, I can actually run my incubator in it. I can plug the incubator right into this little box, oh, and it'll run it for like, okay, it'll run it for ten hours. Yeah, I see. Yes, no, I do know what you're talking about. They use uh, they use this like for computer backups too. Like, yeah, I, I know exactly what you're talking. Yeah, about. this one's a little different. The computer ones are different. This one's more for just portable power. Okay, uh, there's a lot of different brands, but anyway, I got that as a backup. I also have a generator, which I can fire up. You know, an old gas powered generator. <clears throat> but this thing will hold me over until I go out and get the, the, the big generator fired up if I need to do more in the house. But anyway, that's always, you know, a problem when, you, when you're cooking eggs and you've got to worry about your power going out. I know, Bill, I know you were talking about you had some big storms, you said, in, uh, in Texas. Uh, well, that was Buddy. Buddy had uh, dealt with big storms oh, was Buddy. I'm and sorry. lost power. Yeah. Uh, but I had, you know, you know, we had last year the February Texas freeze where uh, the, basically the entire state lost power for – uh, some, you know, I'd say the average person lost power for five to seven days, and that decimated collections uh, here throughout the state of Texas. Uh, I was very lucky to have a, you know, a Generac built-in generator, um, but many, many people lost big time, uh, you know, big time animals, wow. big collections were lost. It was, it was just absolutely Damn. terrible. But I, I will tell you that I, that I think, you know, a pretty consistent theme is that if you're going to breed green trees or really any, any reptile on a, on a semi um, consistent basis, or you're taking it seriously, you need to have a generator. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. You know, agreed. Yeah. 
or at least a battery backup. Yeah, you know, I, I yeah. think I spent for my battery back battery backup. I think it was three hundred dollars, and much like you, Keith, it, it'll run my generator for you know twelve, fifteen hours. Um, yeah, yeah, that's kind so, of like I got that. You know, yeah, 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 yeah. So it, and even if you don't have a generator, I would suggest if you're going to read Condros, go get yourself a, a battery backup that'll actually operate your thermostat and anything else Absolutely. That's in your incubator. Um, because yep, trust that's me, that's literally uh, what I was talking about. Yeah, yeah, you know, te- you know, losing losing twelve eggs um, is a bigger financial hit than spending three or four hundred dollars up front to at least have a battery backup. Or and Bill, you know, yeah. like Bill said, you know, going even bigger with a generator, so so you're prepared. Absolutely. You know, uh, I know I was mentioning some names of people like Gary and uh, David Hastings, but, you know, I just want to make sure, you know, there's so many. I'm sure I'm going to leave a few out, but a couple other guys that were very helpful, too, when I was starting out with Stephen Brown, um, Ian DeSalle here in Florida. Um, yeah. I actually got to meet and, and get a tour of the facility by the great Eugene Bissett, who yeah. gave me a little insight, too. And, uh, you know, he's like the original, he's like the godfather of Conjure Bring, him and Trooper Walsh, I guess, he right? Is. Yeah, they right. are founding fathers. Yeah, yeah. So it's pretty cool to pick his brain a little bit. Definitely. Um, Definitely. Yeah. And it's nice so, having people that Keith. you can, uh, you know, go to help for. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Finish your, finish your thought. Well, I was just saying it's, it's just nice having these people have access to people that can really help you, you know, when, you, when you're starting out and trying to do this. Yeah, it's, uh, it's basically I agree. a necessity. It's a necessity, right? I mean, you've got to have somebody. Well, you tried it on your own, you know, for, what, three, four years? Oh, yeah. Spun, I mean, I couldn't even spun keep spun your, them. Spun your alone, right? Yeah, let, I mean, I couldn't even keep them as pets, let alone breed them. You know, they were just dropping like flies, you know. I mean, I, I was spending tons of money at the vet and, you know, having to give shots to them. I mean, I've never done this before. And, you know, if right. I would have just prepared myself and done the research and talked to some breeders and had a mentor, I could have saved all that trouble, you know. But no, I had yeah. to do it the hard way. <laughs> well, hopefully some people listening to this, you know, will learn from – uh, from your misgivings and uh, everybody else that's been on the show that have, you know, have had the same story that you have, you know, hopefully, yeah. uh, you know, we can uh, give, give them some, some shortcuts to being successful. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. So Keith, I'm curious about what, walk us through your husbandry techniques. Uh, what do you know? How are you housing your animals? Well, I'm probably going to get a lot of backlash for this, but I actually have some older cages before I started getting into the PVC stuff, like the, the, the Exoterra, the Zoomed glass stuff. And believe it or not, I've got healthy animals thriving in these cages. And the reason why I get them to do it is because if you, if you, as long as you can maintain the temp and humidity, if you seal off the top right, you do this, you do that, uh, you know, you, you can make these cages work for you. I wouldn't recommend them, and I eventually – want to go all PVC, like, you know, focus cube, that kind of stuff uh, is the best. You can't go wrong with that. But I still have some stuff in, in glass cages where, you know, like I said, some people might like, say, what are, you, what are you doing? Are you crazy keeping them in that? But, you know, they're thriving and they've been living in them for years. Breeders. 
So I don't yeah. know you guys' oh, yeah. views on that, but no, man, I've I've got no problem with that. Success speaks for itself, and we all know that those uh, types of enclosures can be modified, and they can be. I mean, hell, yeah. that's that's how the that's how the founders <laughs> bred and kept green trees. You know, back in Buddy's yeah, day. Yeah. You know, so, <laughs> so it can it can definitely it can definitely be done. Um, I would go to venture out that they're not in like crazy bioactive uh, environments. Maybe you're keeping yeah. them bioactive. I I have no idea. No, I don't. Um, I don't do the bioactive thing. Yeah, I mean those those glass cages with the proper modifications, particularly the you know the top. And, and especially yeah, focus, uh, focus cube makes a uh, oh make yeah a top. they they make a great yeah. they do they make a great uh, conversion top for those and and as long as yeah. you're not keeping your your ambient room like in the 60s you know and trying to heat that right. thing up you, you're gonna do fine and and especially in your environment yeah. in Florida you know your environment in Florida is just it's a great place to do that yeah it definitely makes it easier being humid here that's for sure yeah. I mean, that, okay. there was a lot of people that that kept ahead, chondros in glass or clear acrylic cages for a long time. Rico himself for a long time kept his emeralds and his chondros in these clear acrylic cages with the pull-out drawers that had a heat lamp on the top. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, yeah. And there was a guy here in Maryland for for a long time. Um, Maryland custom cage and he was he made acrylic cages and one of the options was he would cut a hole in the top for your heat lamp so you could sit it right on wow. top and and that type of stuff so you know and then of course heat panels came along and changed everything but you know for a long time people that you know they that's all we had and that's what you had to to use um, but I think yeah, that you yeah. can be successful like Bill said you just have to make yeah, you, know, you just have to make adjustments based on what your caging style is, and be able to read your animal to make sure that they're they're doing well. Right. And, you know. Well, like I said, I, we, I we tend to get stubborn going. too. Oh yeah, yeah. Like I said, I highly recommend the PVC stuff over the glass cages. It's a lot easier to you know control everything. But you can make these glass cages work for you if you do it right. I love hearing that, Keith. I love hearing people come on on the show. And uh, dis- dispelling myths about you've got to keep it my way. You've got to do it this way. Oh, you've yeah. Gotta, you know, it and has you to these, be this temperature. And, you know, I and love you get, when and you get all these, people come on. You get all these experts in the Facebook, group, uh, Facebook groups, too, that try to chime in and do you doing it all wrong. Meanwhile, they, they might have had, like, one pet green tree python in their life, never bred them before, but they're experts, you know, these guys. Yeah. And they're, they're yeah. telling you how to do it. And I, I always just kind of like look at it and laugh. I don't really get involved in these conversations, although sometimes you can't help it. You can't bite your lip anymore. But sometimes, <laughs> no, right, right. Yeah, but yeah, yeah you yeah. got I, these I, people that just want to that know everything, you know, and uh, it's just hilarious. But yeah, um, work well, with keep, what you got. Right, you know, some people don't have the budget. Keep, well, yeah, absolutely. And if it's working, you know, if it's working, I, I, I love the phrase "the enemy." The enemy of good is better. Yeah. All right. Well, keep going. What else? So you're keeping some in modified glass cages. You got yeah, some I got PVC. some modified glass cages. I've got uh, three 24 cube uh, PVC cages with uh, heat panels and 
thermostats. I've got a 36 wide, 24 deep, 24 high. That I actually have a, uh, I don't know if I can say this because we're talking about Condros, but I have an Amazon Basin Emerald in that one. And, um, which is another fascinating animal. You know, I'm just like, I love Condros, but these, these emeralds are just totally blowing me away now, too. I'm starting to beef up my game a little bit with the emeralds now, too. Well, you um, sound like Gary. Yeah, you yeah. sound like Gary, yeah, and Marshall. <laughs> well, Gary uh, Shivani, I can never say his name right. He butchers my name enough, so I don't feel bad butchering his. I believe the pronunciation. He's probably listening right now, so we should just butcher his name anyway. Well, I think it's Chivino. Okay. Chivino. Yeah, he's he's beefing up his emerald game too. He just got some baby bears in, and uh, yeah, that's pretty cool. But yeah, I got um, those are the you know, and then I've got my uh, my tubs, my rack systems. I've got two uh, eighteen tub hatchling six quart. Racks from Sea Serpents, the back heat. And mm-hmm. I've got a Cambridge uh, tub, uh, tub rack set up where it holds six of the Cambridge tubs. And all tricked out with specialty enclosure designs, you know, David Bram's perches and, you know, water bowl holders and all that stuff. Real, real fancy. These snakes are looking like kings over here. And um, <laughs> where, where'd, you, where'd, you get a, the, where'd you get the Cambridge rack? There's a guy named Sean. I wish I could think of his last name. He's local here in the Jacksonville area, and he builds. He built oh, okay. me this uh, PVC cage. Yeah, and he built okay. the uh, the rack, and he makes some really good stuff. As a matter of fact, I'm going to be hitting him up again soon. I don't know if you're listening, Sean, but we need to talk. Um, it's great to have a I great have, to have a local presence. Great to have a local yes. uh, uh, rack and cage presence. Yeah, that's awesome. I have another uh, rack system here, which holds 27 quart tubs. <clears throat> and it holds 10 of them. Wait, yeah, 10 of those. And I wish I could remember where I got that from. There was a company online that I got those from. Can't think off the top of my head. And mm. and speaking of uh, sea serpents, I'll be going to Daytona uh, this weekend coming up. So I got another 18-quart, uh, or I'm sorry, 18, uh, yeah, 18-tub back heat boreal uh, hatchling rack coming. Uh, I'll be picking up this weekend in Daytona from Chris. Cause that I'm sounds like you're going to need these it. Guys. Yeah, yeah like I, I mean, like these, these eggs that are cooking right now, I'm like, where am I going to put them? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, yeah, the Daytona show, I'm real excited about Daytona coming up. Have you guys ever been to the Daytona Beach show? I've never I been. I a long time. I, I, I went probably 15 years ago. Ah, well, this is going to be like I don't, they're I, saying the biggest one ever. Really? Yeah, they're really hyping it up. Yeah. And I go every year. I've been going since 2008, and uh, you know I'm only about yeah, a, so, maybe hour and 50, yeah, I'm about hour twenty minutes yeah, drive. So close. Yeah, so I look well, forward to I, it every year. I will get ba- I will get back to that. Uh, okay. My religious my religious uh, show is always the October Tinley. Tinley Park show. The Tinley one. Um, yeah, I hear that's the that's amazing. I've been wanting to go to that one too. Yeah, you gotta get up to that one. It's a lot of fun. Um but yeah, I definitely want to get down to the Daytona. Maybe that probably next year. They do that show once a year or tw- once or twice? It's uh once a year. And it's once usually year. the third weekend in August. Okay. Well yeah, I'd love to get down there to that show. 
I, w- I was hoping uh, Focus Cube would come out to this show, but I don't think they, they've been to Daytona or they, they plan on going because uh, I, I'm going to need to beef up a little bit on the uh, PVC enclosures too. And those guys are just making some amazing stuff. I mean, I see it on social media. It's just Have you guys got any Focus stuff? Oh, yeah. I've got Focus. I've got Focus stuff, and I've got actually a couple of cages. Uh, I don't know if you – I think you were listening. Uh, Stephen and Ashley are going to deliver – a monster uh, arboreal, essentially wall of two by two mm-hmm. and two by three cages to, to Justin. They're going to come by oh, here wow. on the yeah. way on, on the way and deliver meat, uh, deliver some cages here. That'll be later next is month. Is it all focus so, stuff? Yeah. Is it all focus? Uh, well, his stuff is all focus. I've got. I'm like oh. you. I've got a hodgepodge of stuff. Um, um, but. But yeah, Ashley and Steven are great people. I love to support them. And uh, I've got yeah. uh, some of their, <laughs> it's funny, some of their prototype cages. When they wanted to start building arboreal stuff, they built a couple of two by two by two cages for me. And I've, so I've got that in, in right. my room. And they're going to bring, they're going to bring up some three by two by two. Again, kind of prototype stuff. They're working with a new material, evidently. It's kind of top secret. Um, nice. But I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to get to see that uh, next month. I'm jealous. I need a snake room. You know, it's funny. I, I had my, my house is my snake room, but my snakes have basically taken over my house. They're, they're pretty much, there's only like one room in the house and the bathroom is why I don't have snakes. Um, so I gotta, I gotta seriously start thinking about building a snake room. It's, it's getting to that point now where they're, they're just taking over. Well, Kids, well, it might be easier just to build you a room. Yeah, exactly. What's that? You, you build your you <laughs> Keith, you build a shed. Just build a room for, for you. Sleep in the shed. Yeah, build <laughs> let them have the house. Right. Yeah, <laughs> just get them the house. Yeah, yeah. That's you, funny. You sleep in the shed. <laughs> well, I'll tell you That's what. Hilarious. My, my, you know, I have a kid. shed where. It's funny <laughs> you mention that because I have a shed where I keep the uh, you know the washer and dryer. It's you know it's just kind of there's no climate control out there. And I've got actually yellow rat snakes living out there. And, oh, really? uh, yeah, as a matter of fact, you know, that's one of the common snakes here where I live is yellow rat. You got a lot of black racers. You got, well, you got all kinds of snakes in Florida. But, but, uh, I had a little problem with it. It was rodents out there and rats. And I, ever, ever since I started letting some of these yellow rats go out there and just let them live out there, I haven't seen a single rat yet. <laughs> it's like having cats. It's like having a cat out there. Feral cats. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. So, oh, God. Keith, real quick, yeah, I, what, I, tell us about your temperatures. How are you keeping them temperature-wise, your snakes? Well, you know, when I first started out, I was keeping them probably way too hot. Um, and you had mentioned Terry Phillip, and I got a hold of his book, uh, Green Tree Pythons and Actual History and Captive Maintenance. And everything, I noticed things changed a lot since Greg, Greg Maxwell's book, you know, where he was kind of saying keep them a little bit higher, this temperature, that temperature. And people learned – throughout the years that maybe they didn't need it that hot. So I was probably keeping them way too hot at first. So I keep them maybe, I might give them a spot to basket like 86 and, you know, ambient temp 82 to 84. Um, you know, nighttime and drop them down maybe just a little bit, especially, you know, from breeding. Um, but and don't get me wrong, I love Greg Maxwell's book too. I, I swear by that book. It's actually helped me a lot. You know, I mentioned all those people that helped me. That book has actually helped me quite a bit too. Absolutely. Right. I noticed... Yeah, but I do notice that uh, what's his name, Justin Julander and Tully. Have you guys got that book? The one they put out. Yeah. Oh yeah. I don't have so that book. 
that that information seemed to get updated a lot, you know, for right. more research, more years of research and captive husbandry. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, you know, Greg Maxwell talks about feeding his animals medium rats every week. Um, and right, so, right, you know, which they don't need. Yeah. A lot of people have got, you know, gotten away from that. Um, but, yeah. But, you know, I, he, you I, know I if it ain't broken, don't fix it. Well, exactly. Just like you right. and your caging, right, man? What's that? It's just like you and your caging, right? Yeah. You your glass you know, it, yeah. It, you know, if that works for Greg and he's been doing it that way, then, you know, God bless him. Let him keep doing it that way. It's just I think things change a little bit. But um, but his his information was just, like I said, I, I don't think I would have gotten this far without having that book. Um, and did you know when I saw Did you see him on the show with the MJ a couple weeks back? No, I knew that he had him on. I did not see that that show. Uh, I I want to go back and watch it because I bet it was a good one. It's really amazing. Yeah, it was just really cool to see that he, guy. And, he, like said, he, he's come full. He's come full circle. He's a ball python breeder now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> doesn't, doesn't keep any green trees. <laughs> doesn't keep any green trees. In ball he, he did hint. He kind of hinted that he was going to get back into it though at the end of the interview. Did he, did so. He? I hope okay. so. All right. That guy produced some crazy stuff. And huge numbers. Huge numbers. I mean, really, huge when numbers. you look look at, I mean, that guy, you know, just blows me away still to this day. Like I said, the other book that came out, there was maybe some things they, they, they researched more over time and found out maybe isn't exactly the same as some of the stuff Greg was talking about. But as far as I'm concerned, Greg was pretty spot on with it. With, Everything, you know, like I said, maybe just a few things changed over the years as far as information, but both great books, both great reads. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Yep. So you live in Florida. Do you do, you do anything special for the humidity of your green tree pythons, or is it just kind of um, it is what it is? Well, I, I miss them. You know, I miss the first thing I do every morning when I wake up and I'm making my coffee is I go around to each cage and I give them a little spray and I kind of started off that way. And then it gives me a way to kind of just check in on them and see how they're doing too. Um, so, you know, some people don't believe in overspraying, over missing, but you know, I, I mean, some, some don't just don't like being sprayed on directly, but you got to figure these animals in the wild, they're in the rainforest. I mean, they're getting rained on every day. I mean, I think they can handle a little bit of spray on them once in a while. You would think, right? Yeah, we, we love the misting question on the show because a lot of people, a lot of the guests and a lot of people out there think, oh, this is a trap. Like, right? Like, oh, nobody wants to admit right. they missed their con- chondros because, oh, now it's taboo to mist your chondros directly. And I love I've I got love no problem. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I've got, I've got no problem admitting it. I, I miss mine every day, and uh, if I don't miss Me them, too. if I if I don't miss them, despite a large water bowl and fresh and frequent water changes, if I don't miss them, they have bad sheds, and I don't like. You know, I mean, I, I I do it all the time. You know, when I have to soak a, a green tree because it's had a bad shed, I do it, but I don't like to. Yep. I'd rather miss it. I'd rather miss it than yep. have good sheds. Yep, yep, yep. You know what? So. Um, you know, with the glass cages, I might have to miss a little more than, say, the PVC cages. They do hold the humidity a little better. Um, and, like, when I'm going to be gone for Daytona next week, I'm probably just going to leave my air conditioner where it's not blasting out cold air all the time, you know, set a little bit warmer and just keep some windows open, and that will keep the house pretty humid in itself right there. So they can go. That's really 
you know, that's really they can nice. go a few days without being missed. Yeah, yeah. That's really nice to have that uh, availability, you know, to do that. Yeah. So with the AC cranking and being as hot as hell in Florida here, you know, it's, it's, it, it does kind of make it a little challenging sometimes to keep all the humidity levels just right. Because I like to keep my house cold uh, this time of year because it just gets hot as hell down here. Yeah. Yep. But, um, but anyway, as far as temps, like I said, um, 82 to 84, I think, is plenty warm for them. With basking air, if they want to go warm up to like, you know, 86, 87, they go up on the top perch. And, of course, you know, if you're breeding, that's that's a whole different story, too. And as, as far as cycling, I don't know if you guys want to talk about that. But, yeah, um, we're, do we, what, we definitely want to get – we we definitely want to, to get into that uh, because, you know, okay. I, I, I definitely want to hear your, your breeding techniques. But I know we got a couple other boxes we want to check real quick. Yeah, I'm getting too far ahead um, of myself here. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's, it's okay. <laughs> um, it, it, it's okay, but – before breeding, let's just say you're in the middle of the summer or it's just a regular part of the year. What, what is your feeding? You know, what, what are you feeding these things? Mice, rats, weekly, monthly? What, you know, what, what are you doing? I'm feeding them average about every two weeks. Some might go two and a half, three weeks at times. Um, the, the young ones, the Neos, I do every, every week, seven days on the babies. Once they get to about a year old, I might bump them back to about every 10 days. And, and again, once they're adults or sub-adults, you know, two weeks in between meals is fine. Uh, males can go longer. Females, I try to keep them fed a little more regularly. And, um, uh, you know, and when they're, like I said, when they're little, mice, pinkies, fuzzies, hoppers, small mice, medium mice, and when they start to get old enough to, to take small rats, then that's pretty much what they're on the rest of their lives. They just, I keep them on the, on the maybe go up to a medium rat, not, not even quite medium, like a, a large, small like my yeah. biggest, my biggest female, I might give her uh, a small to medium rat that weighs 100 grams, and that's plenty for her, and that'll hold her easily for two weeks, maybe three. Okay, yeah. To, to me, that's a sm- 100 grams is a small rat. Yeah, yeah. It's just at the borderline, I think, of, of crossing over into medium. Um, but yeah, and I mean, in in your males, the same thing. You get your males get small. Small rats. Yeah, the males get a little smaller than, than some of the girls do, and and those guys, you know, even they can go an extra week. You know, they, you know, the old the yeah. old saying, you know, uh, less feed or lean breed, healthy. You know, what's that thing that rhymes where you talk about a male that's leaner and not feeding as much? They're better breeders. Yeah. And um, so you don't want to you don't want to fatten true? up your males too much. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. You don't want to fat that fatten them up yeah. too much because they get sluggish. And, you know, you're going to put them in there with a the girl and they're not going to want to do nothing. They're just going to be looking for another mouse to, you know, another rat to eat, you know. Yeah. They just, you know, you don't want your animals becoming uh, sluggish and obese by any means, you know. I mean, they don't wow. eat that much in the wild, from what I understand. I, from right. what I understand, you know, the captive husbandry of, of, of green tree pythons in people's homes, the animals are a lot fatter than they are if you go see them in the wild, from what I understand. And there's probably a reason for that. Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt about about that. Uh, you know, we've right. had Daniel Natush on the show, and uh, he describes the conditions of adult green trees in the wild, and, you know, we would describe them as emaciated uh, for sure. Right, right. So, yeah, that's well, pretty much the eating regime. Yeah. 
What about we talked a little bit about uh, you, you've got a clutch in the incubator. What are you going to breed this year, this season? And and you know, what, what, do you have do you have like any new pairings coming up? Do you have some females that are going to be ready this year that you're looking forward to? I don't to? have any. I don't have any new ones that are going to be quite ready. I've got a couple of girls that will be ready probably next year. That'll be their first time. But I might. I'm probably going to do the female Manaquari again because I haven't. You know, that was. Uh, she, you know, she produced uh, last year, so I'll probably go. I, I don't like to breed them two years in a row if I don't have to. You know, I've, I've just had I had some bad luck. I actually lost a girl, uh, and I, I can't say it was from breeding her too much, but it definitely was taxing her. I could tell. And I was hmm. curious what you guys, how you guys felt about that. Do you, do you breed the same female two years in a row, or is it what's your thoughts on that as far as it being safe? Or because I'm always nervous to do that. Buddy, buddy, nervous. go ahead. What do you? What are your What are your thoughts, buddy? I, That's a great question. Yeah, I personally don't do that. Like I, I wait. I, I give a year off. So breed one year, give yeah, a year yeah. off. Um, yeah, that, yeah. That's my preference. But I do think if the female, you know, if if, you've, if it's a captive bred animal and you've raised the animal in your collection, and I think an occasional back to back clutch would be okay with an animal. You just have to be realistic. Right. To allow uh, some time for the animal to to get back on track and recuperate, and uh, but I think um, yeah. I can remember if it was uh, uh, Vladimir from the Bushmaster Farms. I think he might have had a female do like seven years in a row or six years in a row. And I think Rico wow. maybe has had a female do like four or five years in a row. So I think you can do it. Oh, but I think, you know, okay. it, it, and it definitely, if you think about really one, one to most of your complications arise with green tree pythons that are normally healthy, it's, it's usually a reproductive issue. So, hmm. you know, that, that, so it, to me, I, I just try to give a, you know, breed one year and, and give a year off. And, um, that's kind of how I've been doing it. <clears throat> I've got, you know, again, I love to throw like a little controversy or maybe just different opinions in. I've got a female that I'll be breeding for the fourth year in a row. This year. Wow. She's produced three clutches in the last three years and just put her size back on, is rocking, and I'm going to breed her again this year. That's amazing. Four, so that would be four. <clears throat> So actually, if you do it right and you give the animal time to put her weight back on and, and she looks like she's up for the job and she's healthy and robust, you can go ahead and, and do it a second, third year in a row, then it sounds like. Like I said, I've just been a little nervous well, about I, doing it that way from a bad experience that you, I had. You know, I think there's I think there's risk to anything we do. Like Buddy said, anytime you breed them, it's a risk. Now, am I, pro, am I shortening her lifespan by breeding her four times in a row? I, I don't know. Yeah. You know, you know, I, I, I don't know. I don't think there's any conclusive evidence out there that, that says that I am. Um, but, right. you know, she's produced three years, not a single slug in three years. Good size, mid teen huh. clutches. Um, you know, I mean, I just, oh. in, in, la in, in last year, when, she, well, she produced this clutch, she paired one time and ovulated. Hmm. One pairing. One lock, ovulated. That was that's it. awesome. Damn. What so, female is this, Bill? That's Bizkit. It's a Matt Morris high yellow female that I that I bred to the 
my stud, you know, you talked about uh, your stud, Keith, but, but Jaeger, um, you know, has has now produced for me, I can't even count how many clutches, maybe a dozen, maybe 10 clutches for me now um, since I've had them and three, so three from her. Uh, And yeah, she's, she, she's, she, she's a machine. He's a machine. Uh, Does she produce more than than one? Does he produce like so many clutches a year or is he at least like over the years, like every year he's producing a clutch? Last year, he sired three of my four clutches. That's crazy. Like I said, this guy did uh, the, my Cyclops did the uh, did the two, and I thought that's pretty amazing. So he did three. That's pretty cool. He did three. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, I think they're, did you, they're did you bounce so him back and different. forth? Did you ever did you did you bounce him back and forth in between girls, or just let him finish up not, with one and move on to the next? Not not really, because um, two of the girls. Well, with 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 that female that I'm talking about, he was one and out. Another girl, he was two right. and out. So he, they they locked up twice. And then... huh. Well, it sounds like you're getting yourself a little stud there. That's for sure. Bill, did we lose you? Did we lose Bill? I think we may have. Let me, uh, I'm going to check in here real quick, but let's All right. see. My computer has to go to sleep. Well, he's still shelling. He's in the room. Huh. But that's all right. So Bill's got Bill's got Jaeger, who is his his go-to male, who does a lot of a lot of clutches for him. Well, what I, might, about, I um, might actually I I might try one of my girls twice in a you know maybe maybe I'll give her another shot as long as she's up to you know her weight's back on good because uh, you know um, if I don't. I definitely won't be having any clutches compared to what I had when I'm having this year, you know, because um, right. like I said, I was planning on only maybe doing one cycling, one cl- uh, pair this, this coming winter for uh, another clutch next spring. But hey, maybe I'll take a chance on one of these girls that, uh, and, and let her go again. Might do it. i got to chew on that. Yeah, think about it. So let me ask you this, Keith. Yeah. Do you think that um, – can you overbreed a male? Do you think that um, – Oh, that's a good question. Um, what do you think? What are your thoughts on that? I, you know, that's a good question. Um, I haven't seen anything to um, raise any red flags with with my uh, the one I was just talking about, the Cyclops, because when he got done with those two girls, he just acted like nothing happened. I think you could tell he was he, he's probably ready to go on to a third girl. So. I wouldn't really know how to answer that question. Has, have other people had problems by overdoing it with the males? I don't know. I, I, I mean, I'm going to say that I've never had a problem with it, but I wonder, you know, we always, yeah. we always, we're always focused on the females and the, the problems that yeah. arise usually, you know, when you think about the problems that could arise for a female, right? The, they could have, you know, right. problems ovulating. They could, you know, prolapse when they lay their eggs. Yeah. It's just yeah. a whole bunch of whole bunch of stuff that can happen a, with the females because they commit to it. But, you know, that's why I've been so scared to breed about a the female. Like I said, I had a bad experience where I had a female die after ovulating and she just dropped mm. dead. And I was like, oh my God, yeah. So I, th- I thought that I'd put her back in the game too fast again and should I give her a break, you know? 
Right, you, right. You, know, you just did you, beat did yourself you, up over this stuff. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's it's hard not to take it personal. Did, yeah. So did the female that passed away, did you figure out the cause, or were you just like, you know, oh, she she passed away, and I'm just going to take care of her? Yeah, I just uh, let it go. Uh, I didn't do a, a necrops, necrops, whatever it's called. I can't pronounce that word. Necropsy. Yeah, necropsy. <laughs> necropsy. Yeah, yeah. Necropsy, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I didn't, I didn't bother doing any of that. Um, it's, it's never, you know, like I said, I've lost a few over the years when I was first starting to get into it, buying these imports and wild caught animals and so-called farmed ones. And, and again, you know, if you're going to get a farmed animal, make sure you get it from someone that really is farmed. Like, like, uh, Ryan at Clockwork, where, you know, those animals do come from Bushmaster, but a lot of these other people talking about farmed animals, they're just wild caught, you know, and you're going to have problems. Yeah, and, um, for sure, for sure. Well, anyway, she, the female that died, I think that was one I had gotten from a, yeah, I did get that one from a show. So who knows? Maybe if she was a Captain born and bred animal, that wouldn't have happened. Yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, when they ovulate, they can definitely rupture uh, ovaries and those type of things, and the eggs can actually wind yeah, up free yeah. inside the body cavity, so... Yeah, I mean, it, right, it does happen, right. unfortunately. Right. Never any fun. Never any fun losing them. No, no, no. So I had a, I had a bad experience with uh, my feeding trials with uh, my latest clutch, too. Uh, I wanted to tell Bill about that, too. I don't know if he can hear us, but... Um, but um, I think I'm back. It, can you hear me? There you are. He is back, yes. Hey, I'm back. I'm back from the dead, yes. Welcome back, Bill. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> damn it, damn blog talk, damn blog talk site. <laughs> I was uh, just telling Buddy. What was uh, your question? I had a little, I had a little, I had a bad experience uh, with the the neos from my latest clutch, uh, which really broke my heart. Um, you know, when I'm when I'm doing, you know, you know how feeding trials can go. I mean, my God, you know, you talk about runners and you talk about <laughs> some of the nightmares we go through with these guys. Um, I had one that it was, I was assist feeding, and um, you know I, I usually after about between after a month to six weeks or so, if, if they're not taking any meals yet, I'll, I'll start to consider assist feeding, and and I've, I've been pretty good at it. I've always been successful at, at treating them that way. And then after a few assist feeds, they they pick it up, you know. And then all of a sudden, you know, you you're always going to try with the tongs, even after you've been assist feeding them, and. Sure enough, one day they'll just snap it off the tongue, and then and I'll be that. And and thank God for the assist feeds because it kept them nourished and you know kept them going. But uh, I actually I've heard nightmare stories about you know you got to be careful with assist feeding. And long story short, I assist fed one, and it just couldn't handle it and rolled over and, and dropped dead on me right after I got done assist feeding it. I was like I was crushed. I was crushed. What what um, were you doing, Keith? What what were you assist feeding? Uh, a heads or a full pink or what? Tail, I think on that, I think that one I had I had been assist feeding it heads a couple times, and I decided to go with a full pink. But it was a tiny little day old red hot pink, like just microscopic. I thought, let me get a whole pink down. Yeah, there. and because uh, it just you know this was this was one of the weaker snakes I think in the clutch. I think it was the last one to come out of the, uh, the clutch, last egg, and I could just tell this one was weak to begin with. And um, but anyway, I, I I tried to get a whole small pink down and was chomping it down. I, I really don't like to have to 
shove it too far in the throat. What I try to do is, you know, there's a difference between assist feeding and force feeding. And I always try to assist where I just get it started and let them take it home. But this one, I, I was, it was turning into more of a force feed. And I thought I was going to be able to handle it, and I thought everything was going to be fine. And like I said, the snake just dropped dead on me, and I was, I was like I said, blo- I was just crushed. So needless <laughs> to say, I'm extremely careful now when I assist feed. Extremely careful. Well, I think, you know, it's there, – there are some that just are not meant to be. You know, they're just not meant to make yeah. it. And whether it's – whether it's a, they've got an abnormality that you can't see, a genetic abnormality, right. a defect in their gut, you know, some of them just aren't meant to be. And that's – you know, you, if you're going to be uh, – if you're going to be a green tree breeder, you, I don't have to tell you, Keith, and certainly not Buddy, you've got to be able to get – stuff like that pretty quick you got to be pretty hardened to that um because if yeah, you're not yeah. then then it's going to be you know this is supposed to be fun you know all of this yeah, is supposed yeah. to be fun for us and uh yeah yeah you know you know you well like you said you, you gotta uh you gotta build up that hard shell through experience um and you know uh, uh, next time i'm sure it won't be as gut-wrenching if it, god forbid if it ever does happen again um but yeah, it, it really just threw me off, you know, just seeing this little baby that you've been working so hard to help and try to get him and try to keep it alive and, and have that happen, you know. Um, it, it just, oh, it, it just I know, it was very emotional. Uh, it was very emotional for me. Let's just put it that way. Man, it's what, it, what, it's what makes these things different. It's what makes them unique and what, what makes them, you know, there's nothing higher than the highs of these things and nothing lower than the lows. It's, it's yeah you yeah. got to be a certain kind of person though to, to want to do it pursue it stay with it um oh yeah you yeah. know except except, it's not except for everybody. failures it's not yep. it's not um but it's so rewarding when things do work out it's for oh, me it's it totally way over couples all of the failures the bad things the how could that happen you're so, so stupid how could you you know, they can find these ways to kill themselves a hundred times over, but the success for me, yeah. the successes are worth it. You know, um, that's the best part of it all. Like you said, the, the rewarding factor, you know, the, the challenge and, and, and when you have success, you know. I mean, uh, if, you, if you're doing it for those reasons, to, for the satisfaction, you love the animals, you have the passion, I think you will succeed. And I, I know some people just get in there for the money and, you know, what you call them, flippers and flesh peddlers and whatnot and, and uh, those are the guys I don't, I don't think that will succeed, you know. Um, um, and, oh, and I think, it, would um, drive them, it would drive them crazy. I mean, if, if your yeah, motivation yeah. for this was solely monetary, it would drive you. I mean, think about it. You think, oh, my God, I just lost a $1,500 animal. I just, I just killed a $1,500 animal because I, you know, tried to assist uh, feed it. If those are your yeah, thoughts, yeah. You, you'll, it'll drive you crazy. You'll never, ever oh, yeah. be able to do it. Yeah, yeah. So like I said, even even if uh, I didn't sell a single snake, um, I, I would still be doing this just like I am now. Like you know, the money is a bonus. If you sell one, you make a few bucks. That's great. But you know, if you're doing it just for that. You, you're not doing it for the right reasons. Yeah, I just I just don't think you can do it long term and be successful if those are the reasons. If, if that's your motivation, but maybe I'm wrong. I, I I don't know. I don't know anybody that's been successful doing it. That wasn't highly motivated other stuff than monetary. I, I just don't know. I don't know anybody that's yeah. been successful at it. Right. Right. Maybe they're out right. there and I don't know it. 
I, I don't know. Yeah. Um, but those again, those like folks I said, I tend mean, to be uh, the ones that bring the hobby down, my experience. You know, the ones that are purely, mon- you know, with money that are they're all about the money. They oh, yeah. they tend to be the ones that eventually bring everything down for everybody else. Yep. And you know, when people want to purchase one from me, and and you know, they they got the money ready to rock. You know, I don't even care how much money it is, or you know, I, I need to know if you are going to be able to take care of this animal properly. You know, I drill them with a whole bunch of questions. Unless it's somebody I know, like one of you guys, somebody in the group you know of that knows what they're doing. No questions asked, but, you know, if it's somebody I, I don't know, and this is the, especially if this is like their first time getting a green tree python, you know, I drill them pretty hard and make sure they do the proper research and they're going to take care of this animal properly before I let one go. I don't care how much you're offering me for it. It's the great uh, thing about, you know, being a green tree breeder is you, you get to vet your customers very tightly. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. And, and that's awesome. And, and I love dealing with first-time green tree keepers. I mean, I, I love it. Um, but, Me yeah, too. I will, I will like you, Keith, I, I, I will vet them hard, hardly. Yeah, I will vet them. Yeah. Yeah, it's, 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 it's great when you see people that you got you sold them the first one and they're, like, really doing good at it now. I got one guy I sold him his first yeah. one. I think I've sold him two or three more since then, and he is just blowing up. He's going to be probably like a major breeder one day. I, I can see that happening now. And he didn't really – he, he, this guy did his homework, and he's just moving along with it at, at a pace that's unreal. I'm just blown away by this guy. Yeah, seeing, seeing successful new keepers to me is as, is, is as rewarding as any part of why I do this. I love the animals, yeah. but to see somebody – like get an animal of mine and it's their first green tree and they're successful with it, man, that just, that pumps me up. And, and it's a great it's, feeling. It really is. It's a great feeling. Yep. And, you know, I believe in paying it forward too. You know, I mean, all these people that help me, uh, you know, if I can help someone else and just keep it, keep it moving along that way, you know, I'll, I'll have done my job. Absolutely. Um, have we, I, I, I I, I was cut off. Did have you? Were you guys talking about breeding? Have you guys talked about breeding we were. yet, Keith? We, yeah, okay. we were talking, talking about, about you know about it. breeding the same female over and over. You said you had yeah. one girl go three or four times in a row, and then uh, Buddy was talking about overtaxing a male. I think that's when you got cut off. Oh. Like when's the cut off time? Okay, where yeah. you Give the male a break. Yeah. Yeah, you know, that, yeah, that's an. an I never got to that point where I felt like I had to give one of my males a break, but I would imagine you, you could, you know, they probably get pretty worn out too after a while. I think there's a little chapter in, there you in got... Greg Maxwell's book. Greg talks about that in his book. I think we, you know, you don't want to over overtax the males either. Did you guys talk about um, cycling females, like light cycling, feed food cycling, temperature cycling? No, we didn't get we didn't get into that yet. Well, what do what you do? Well, um, usually where I am here in Florida, usually around October, November, I'll start dropping the nighttime temps in the cages. And um, maybe even a little earlier sometimes. And, of course, you know, it's not going to get too cold because we don't really get these cold winters here. But if I get them down in the mid-70s, maybe even low 70s some nights, and I let that go for like maybe a month, 
going into two months. That's usually when I'll take, and again, I'm doing this with both the males and the females cages. That's when I'll take a male sure. and put her in, put them in with the female. And, you know, as long as those temps were dropped at night, they usually wrap up pretty quick. I've had them wrap up like the same day. Sometimes the male might take his time and I take a couple of days and all of a sudden he's all over. Um, and also uh, I, I get a lot of uh, uh, success from leaving a shed skin in the cage. Like when a female sheds, it's almost like the males react to that. Like they go crazy for that. It's like, they, it's like, like a strip tease. They're getting turned on or something. I don't know. It's just, it's, uh, it's just, a little Congo, Congo lap dance. Congo lap dance. There you go. But, but anyway, um, if, if all else fails, wait till the female sheds. And I, I, like I said, I've had a lot of success with putting a male in right after a fresh shed on the female, but I don't really cycle the meals. Uh, the male is already pretty much off feed. He just, he's, the male's already decided they don't want to eat right now. When they got mating on, the, on their mind, they're not interested in food anyway, even if you tried to feed them. Uh, okay. females, I, females, I will continue to feed as long as I can. You know, if, the, if there's a lot of uh, okay. copulations going on, a lot of locking, I might take the male out, give him a little break for a few days before I put him. And then during that time, I'll offer the female a, a meal because, you know, once she ovulates, okay. She's not going. She's not going to eat again. So I'd like to make sure she's got some good fat reserves on her, because um, she's going to be okay. gone a long time without a meal. And you know, especially if you let her maternally incubate, there's another fifty days she's going to go without a meal. Um, so, well, again, the right mind is crazy enough to do that. <laughs> the right mind is crazy people. enough to do that. <laughs> All right. You know, everybody says you should just at least try it, you know, for the experience of it. But I just, I guess I haven't had the balls to do it yet. I just put them right in the incubator. Because, um, you know, I just feel like it just, you know, get the female bouncing back that much quicker too, you know. And it, it just, uh, sure. do you guys both, have you guys both maternally incubated clutches? Never. Never, Never have I done it. Never. Yeah, I, I haven't Four, either. Five, I know people do different it. Different species. Every year, and no, I never have. Okay, okay. Well, some people do it, and they they like to go through that whole experience, you know, the whole Mother Nature thing, doing it that way. But again, I you know that's why I got my hot box here. There's there, there, there's another nothing shout out to Chris Mother Nature about well, <laughs> your hot box. <laughs> yeah, I'm a hot box there, I, I got this nothing... uh, incubator. What's that? I, I was just gonna say, keep. I think we lost you. I, I, oh, am I gone again? Breaking up. No, you're you're, you're still here, but you're going in and out. Oh, man. Sorry. Mother Nature. Now I think we <laughs> – I think what Bill was saying was I'm, nothing Nothing about what we were doing is involves Mother Nature, I guess. True. I'm. I'm going to call back in. Okay. All right. All right. So, you know, but yeah, that, I mean, that's why, that's why, uh, somebody came up with that hot box incubator so we don't have to worry about maternal incubation. Oh. Yeah. I mean, if, and, uh, uh, I swear about, uh, it's a, it's a great unit. I'm probably going to add a second one. Matter of fact, I'm going to talk to Chris and Daytona about possibly getting another one soon because I got the 24 inch one where I'm thinking about maybe getting the, uh, the next size up. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, I mean, 
maternal you, incubation you, you, looks really about... ne- it looks neat. What's that? What's that? Uh, uh, it looks neat. It looks. I like the photos. Like the the photos that come from when the the eggs are pipping and the moms are still kind of on the clutch. Oh yeah, yeah. I like that part of it, but I don't necessarily. But that's what I like about it, and I, I guess yeah. Um, you know, the, the the other aspects of it. You know, I've heard people say that they think the neonates are bigger and that they establish quicker. And, and who knows that that could all be true. Um, but I just I've just never had the courage to do it. Yeah, me neither. Maybe one day, but no hurry. To, no hurry to try it. Um, you know, you guys, we were talking about heat and you know cycling and all that. Um, to right. finish that up, once the female ovulates, and I, you know, I know it's a solid ovulation. That's when I will raise the heat back up a little slowly and uh, okay. give her a nice warm area to bask if she wants. And you know, I'll notice too that sometimes they don't want to go to a cooler part of the cage when they're ovulating, or after ovulation, sometimes they want to go sit right under the heat panel. But you got to give them that option to where they can thermoregulate. And different, you know, if they want to be warmer or cooler, you know. Um, but again, that's that's when I, uh, you know, like I said, once that ovulation. And again, this this I learned from uh, Greg Maxwell's book too, is and he does the same thing, is you know, once once you're pretty once you're certain that they ovulated, if not sooner, raise that heat back up. Right. And then just uh, count the days, you know, wait for that prelay shed, and uh, I think uh, you wanted to talk about nest boxes too, right? Yeah, sure. What do, what do you do for an S-Box? Am I, am I going too far ahead again, or is there other stuff you wanted to no. get to before that? Because uh, I made a nest, for I made a nest box, made a nice little wooden nest box with a little hole in the side and top latch opens up. And uh, the first three clutches, they wouldn't go near it. And, uh, they you know, one clutch dropped them off the perch. So, you know, one thing I learned – with the nest box in there, if they're not going to use it, cushion the whole floor of the of the cage with moss and remove the higher perch and make sure you take the water bowl out at night when you're not going to be able to supervise the cage because the last thing you want them is laying the eggs in water, obviously, because an instant death sentence. Um, but I I had luck the last three clutches with the um, with the nest box. And, and what I did was I put a little, uh, one of those little like Zoomed heat pads that you put under a cage I put it under the nest box to where I kept the, the floor temperature of the nest box right about 84, 85 degrees. And sure enough, they started going in there and they started checking it out more. So I'm thinking maybe because there's no heat on the bottom of the cage that far down, that's why they were staying up higher to, to stay warmer. So, um, and then I, they started going in and uh, laying the eggs in the nest cage uh, three times. Although the last one, I, I kind of had to, put her in. I kind of like put, pointed her head in there a couple times and got her in there. And she was still coming out and being restless and cruising all over the place. And it was like, uh, I believe it was 14 day post prelay shed that, you know what I did? I, I, I made sure when she got in again, I sealed off the hole. I locked her in and she laid her eggs in there the next day and she called up on them. Otherwise she was going to drop them all over the place. Yeah. Yep. Great idea. Buddy does, buddy does that, but he taught me how to, to do that as well to lock them in that nest box. Yeah, and like I said, if they're trying to get out, just seal it up. And if you have a good idea when you know when they're going to lay the eggs, obviously you don't want to lock her up in there a week before she's laying eggs. But if you're getting pretty close and you know it's sure. right around the corner, just just lock them up in there. 
Yep. And you, know, you don't have to worry about it as far as dropping them off the perch and all that stuff. And so, yeah, the last the last three clutches I had, and um, let's see. Yeah, the last four clutches I had were laid in the nest box now. So, but the first the first few couldn't get them to go near it. Yeah, I've had them do everything. Uh, I've had them lay on top of the nest box, you know, all around the nest box, lay, and then not yeah. not not, uh, not not wrap them. Um, yeah, I, I'm a big proponent of pulling perches early. I don't care if they if yeah. they lay on the ground or crawl around on the ground for a week. You know, me too. I'll, I'll, me too. I'll do kind of what you said. I'll I'll pull the perches, but I'll I'll turn the I'll turn the the uh, the heat panel up, obviously, so temps are getting down on the the uh, floor of the cage. You know, they're they're getting in that you know low mid eighty range, so they're not okay. uh, hurting for heat down there. You know, right? Um, right. But yeah, I don't care. I don't care if they crawl around on the bottom of the cage for a week. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, I had better luck with the uh, putting a little heat pad under under the uh, the nest box and hooking it up to a thermostat, running a separate cable in there, and controlling that temp. And it just seemed to maybe it's coincidence, but that's yeah. when I started getting better luck. No, it's a great idea. It makes perfect sense to me. Keith, you know what, what is your I, nest I believe box made also of? In, uh, Maxwell's book. What's that? What, what what is your nest box made out of? Um. I want to say pine wood. Uh, you can see pictures of it. If you go on my Facebook page, you can see, uh, I think that if you scroll down, you might be able to see a couple pictures of where I got those shots of the girls in the okay. next box. And um, it's basically, if you, if you look at the the more complete conjure book, Greg talks about nest boxes in there. There's a chapter. And it's basically, I molded it after what he's got in that book. It's the same thing. If you, if you look in the book, you'll see mine's pretty much almost a replica of it. I like those nest boxes. They're they're very cool. What um, do you yeah. put anything inside the nest box, or do you leave it? Do you is, have you have sphagnum moss in there, or newspaper? Or yeah, just, I put just I put plain box. sphagnum moss, um, maybe about two or three inches of it, and you know, so this way she can kind of swish around here and get nice and comfortable and um, and do her thing. But yeah, definitely put some moss in there, and. You don't really have to keep the nest box itself humid, so I wouldn't recommend spraying directly in the nest box because the last thing you want is those eggs to get wet. But as long as the whole rest of the cage is humid, shouldn't have any problems. Very good. Do you do um, any other type of husbandry stuff work? with your gravid females? Um, I know you. I think one of the things you wanted to talk about too is uh, soaking the, the females. Yeah, for sure. And right, sure. I I don't soak them while they're gravid. Once she lays her eggs, I give her a good soak. That's the first thing I do. Once I get the eggs separated from mama and I get her out, I want to get, get her going again, I, the first thing I do is give her a good soak. So as far as soaking during that time, I, I haven't done it yet. I don't know if that's something you guys recommend doing. Uh, it's not that I'm against it. I've just never done it that way. Again, you know, to argue with success, Keith, and know that Gary does not soak his females. He had a bad experience soaking a gravid female. I think she died in 
while he was soaking her, so he does not. Wow. Uh, I soak huh. my I, I soak my females. I try to get two good soaks in after they ovulate, but before they uh, lay. Uh, sometimes oh, okay. it happens, sometimes it doesn't. But uh, yeah, I right. so, yeah I, I do soak, and I do because Buddy told me to. You know, so not right. not that I'm a genius. He just told me to, <laughs> he just told me to, so I do it. Yeah, I've heard people talk about it. I just never got around to doing it. Yeah, yeah. And you know, you know, it's funny. I picked up techniques from Gary. Uh, other people I spoke with, you know, like I said, David Haston, and you know, and basically you you pick up all these different things, and then you kind of just kind of create your own thing. So it's kind of a combination of, of different things that I've learned from different people. And then once you get your own style and you yeah, go with it, and it's working, you just kind of, you know, the old saying, if it's not broken, don't fix it. Yep, absolutely. And I'm always a creature of habit, so, you know, I've, I've pretty much, I've, I've been wanting to do uh, incubate at lower temps. Uh, there's people that say, like Harlan always says that, uh, he tells me if you, if, you, if you do them at a lower temperature, like 86 Eighty-six two, eighty-six four, whatever. You know, they might take a few more days to pick, and they might incubate longer. But the snakes are going to be more developed and a little healthier, and be a little more robust when they come out of the egg. Where I'm doing it at eighty-seven four, and they're, they're usually pipping like clockwork on day fifty. Do you, do you guys do it that way, or do you guys let them go a little longer? Buddy, go ahead. So, I have for a very long time incubated my eggs at like 87.8 or 88.1 and I would huh. get the day 50 hatch and um, right. this past season I I actually tried 86.5 and so I had three clutches at 86.5 and so the timing's definitely longer but from my perspective, the, the babies do appear to be bigger. So the babies did prove to be, and bigger. they they appear to be. <clears throat> so I I don't weigh my babies, so I can't say that you know all all the babies that I've incubated, you know, eighty seven eight or eighty eight one, that you know they were all ten grams, and these these last babies were all. 14 or 15 grams. I can't say that because I don't have the data, but just based on what I see, they do look bigger to me. Hmm. Interesting. Some people swear by it, you know, and as I was saying, I'm kind of a creature of habit, so I've been just kind of keeping it the way I've been doing it, but I keep thinking maybe one time I'll, I'll try doing it at the lower temp and, and see what happens for me, but I just haven't uh, got around to doing it that way yet. I'll let you guys experiment. And you know, you, you can yeah. you can tell me how that works. <laughs> I'm uh I'm like you, Keith. I'm a creature of habit, eighty seven five. Um, but you know, I'm incubating yeah. multiple species in the same incubator. Um, mm-hmm. so and and I, and I'll have a small fluctuation in my incubator temps, maybe half degree from top to bottom. Uh, so I will mm-hmm. typically yeah, I have the same problem. Yeah, it, yeah, it's not a problem really. It's just I think it's fine. Uh, you know, a half degree is not going to uh, make or break Mine, your incubation. Mine's more, mine's more like a mine's more like a full degree. My my bottom shelf is runs about a degree hotter than the top shelf. Hmm. Oh, really? I thought it would be the opposite of that. 
No, it's it's uh, oh, wait a minute, maybe I got it back. Wait, hold on. <laughs> I'd have to double check that one. But one of them is definitely, you know, one shelf is definitely warmer than the other one, and I think it was pretty close to a whole degree. Yeah, I, I still um, don't think that's going to make or break your incubation. Um, you know, a, a degree as long as you're ten, as long as you're not having big spikes. I think you right. know, um, a degree yeah, spikes, isn't going to make or yeah. break. Yeah. So. But I'll, I'll incubate my green tree um, eggs on the bottom shelf. It's like com- as a, compared to my my ball python eggs uh, would be on the top shelf, and my Borneo shorttail eggs will be in the middle shelf. And you know, again, you're, mm-hmm. I'm talking about a half a degree, half a degree, maybe maybe, maybe to a full degree difference uh, in my incubator, which mm-hmm. which is full size, like a full size, uh, you know, Snapple machine, full size. Six huh. foot, you know, difference between top and bottom. It seems like everybody has the same issue with their incubators. There's always, you know, going to be a little bit different fluctuation in temperature from the from the, the level of the shelves. So that's something we all have to kind of make adjustments to if we're cooking more than one crotch at a time. Uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I learned that with the, this this uh, year. I was doing first time doing two clutches at the same time. And I was like, what's going on? This clutch is warmer than the other clutch. So you kind of have to just readjust where one could be a little bit cooler just to get the other one at the right temperature. Yeah. I'd rather have a little on the cooler side. I'd rather have the one clutch a little on the cooler side than being too hot. Right. Right. And obviously, you know, it worked out well for you because you, you incubated multiple clutches in the same incubator that were like weeks apart, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right about ten days apart. Although I did have that that experience with the the one clutch with the deformities, and again I got four good ones out of out of eleven, so seven of them didn't make it. And I'm again still scratching my head on what went wrong because the other clutch came out perfect. Right. Um, Keith, listen, uh, we're getting we're winding down on our time. Uh, and I told you we okay. we do want to keep uh, the listeners or you any longer than necessary. A couple things we did want to uh, yeah. hit on quickly, though: hatchling, right. hatchling husbandry. Couple, you know, really okay. kind of quick, quick questions. So, you, you you hatch your babies. Do you offer a meal before their shed, or do you wait and let them have that first shed? I always uh, offer one be- before they shed. Um, before I'd like to get a jump start on it. Yeah, if 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 there's if they're very alert and they're even sippy and they're trying to bite at you when you open the tub, I think this might be a good opportunity to to go ahead and tease them with a little thinking, you know. And I usually get, I want to say maybe at at 18, I might get three or four of them to to eat the first time. Some of them just won't do it until after they shed. Um, and then let it gets ask, tricky too because we're. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say, let me ask you an anecdotal question that I've had because I have noticed that I will have some babies that I will offer food to pre-shed. They will immediately mm-hmm. eat, and then mm-hmm. after they shed, they turn into my worst eaters. Have <laughs> I've you, had that happen, have too. You, uh, you've had that happen? You've noticed that? I don't know. I've had some that eat right off the bat, and then all of a sudden they don't want to eat again. So just because you get one to eat for the first time doesn't guarantee it's going to go for it the second or third time, you know? Uh, you would think they it's, would. It, it, it's the reason that I stopped offering pre-shed. And, again, 
maybe completely anecdotal. Oh. Maybe it, you know, maybe it was just it, it just was because it was. But I've stopped offering them meals before that first shed, just based on okay. anecdotal, you know, a couple little. So you know, maybe just put it in the back of your mind. I, I would be curious to see because I don't think Buddy offers pre-shed meals, but people that do, mm-hmm. it would be interesting to see like how, what percentage of them eat a meal pre-shed and then don't, and then are four feeders after. Yeah, that's something I'm gonna I'm gonna keep an eye on next time. You, that, now that you mention that, um, yeah, just, just curious. The, a lot of the ones, that, a lot of the ones that I offer pre-shed also continue to just continually eat after yeah. that. But sure. again, you sure. get ones whether they're pre-shed or not that feed the first time and then just don't feed the second time, and uh, it, make, it makes you kind of that's frustrating. Wondering what's, what's that, going on. Yeah. yeah, that's really frustrating, isn't it? I. Yeah, I can deal with the ones that don't eat. They work. They slowly progress. They they don't eat. They eat yeah. ahead. You assist feed. Then they. Don't. But the ones that eat, 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 and then stop. Those are the ones that drive me crazy. Yeah, doesn't make sense. <laughs> you know, and you know it's funny because feeding trials are so. I mean, it's so tedious. It's so frustrating. I mean, I, I'm sure you guys agree. It's the hardest part of the whole process. Is you know, you go through all that cycling. You know, getting them to uh, lock up and female ovulating, you know, and it's all that's nerve-wracking. And then you think you're home free once the eggs are – and then it's like when they hatch, you're going through this whole other thing that's even like twice as hard as everything you just went through. It's crazy. I can't agree. I can't agree and then you got, more than everything that you just said. And then you got these people that, you know, your friends that really don't know much about sex. They go, what is that? That doesn't make good one. They just need. You think they'd be hungry? Just feed them, you know. Like, you have no idea what we go through. <laughs> And what do they do in the wild? You know, come on, don't they eat? Well, in the wild, they don't eat pinky mice, number one. So we're training right. them to eat something they normally don't eat. And, um, you know, um, and, and in the wild, you know, their survival rate's probably a lot lower, too. You know, I would imagine, you know, a clutch of 20 eggs, probably less than half of them actually make it, you know. <clears throat> I I'm, uh, I'm sure it's very, yeah. very low. Yeah. But anyway, getting them to you, feed, you, you know, it, it's 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 uh, uh, it's the hardest part of the whole game. I was going to say, you know, they hate the taste of a pinky mouse when when they strike it. I mean, a perfect strike right on the head, and they whip that thing down so fast. You know, it's like, yep. God, you can tell they just hate the taste of it. Like, what the hell yeah, is this? Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, another trick that. Um, Again, I, I hate to keep mentioning this guy's name. It's going to get to his head, but Gary Schiavone. He recommended cleaning the scent off with this uh, all-natural hand wash for right. seven generations. And yeah, I wasted my I wasted my money on some of that, but but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know it's funny. I mean. I can't prove it works, but I will tell you this. I, I, I started cleaning off some of them to the real stubborn ones, and, wow. and then I dip them in a little, uh, you know, of course, warm them up with some nice hot water, and then dip, a little, uh, dip them in a little chip down, and I'm getting them to go. And I, I can't say if it's a soap or not, but, you know, if that, if that smell, that scent is really bothers them that much, this does wipe it off. I mean, it's got to get rid of it, right, you would think. Uh, I, I agree 100 percent, and I would, that was just I was just uh, joking. But I'm a big <laughs> fan of the chicks 
kicks kicks in myself. I, I they don't even get offered their first meal. I, that all of mine get chicks sent uh, for their first meal. I don't. I don't even try. You cut right. Yeah. You cut right to the chase. You don't waste any time. Oh yeah. You, you yeah. bet. Chick I got my right got my answer. I got a big. Uh, well, not a big. I got a little Tupperware container, freshly plucked chick down sitting there during my first feeding trials. But I will try the first tease without it. And once without it, I see I'm not getting anywhere. Then I dip right into the chick down. I go. It's right there. What do you do, buddy? I do the same thing Keith does. I start without it, but if they're you know if they're grabbing it and they're they're, they're wrapping, but they're then dropping it, then I'm going right. I'm next time is the chick down. Yeah, you know when when they when they grab it and they and they start to wrap it and then spit it out. Usually yeah. the next time if you use chick, chick down, they'll 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 go for it. They'll finish it up. If they're already going right. that far, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. But you know, I, I aside from chick down, I, I have some that you just have to tease the living crap out of them, just to almost make them come unglued. Like some of them are real shy. Oh, yeah. You know, you got the runners, you got the runners, of course, which we all know how those guys are, and then you got the opposite, the real shy ones, who just like hide in the corner and tuck their head in the coil, and you know, and then you got to like hit them on, bop them on the tail with it, and try to, you know. So, but I've had some of those guys just it's, again, if you if you just don't give up and just keep antagonizing them. You'd be surprised what could happen, but you got to know where to stop too. Because if you go too far with it, you're going to just scare them to the point where they're going to, they're going to just hide from you every time you open up that tub. They don't want to go through that crap again. So you got to know where to draw the line with that too. Um, yeah, so it can, it can and that tricky. only that only comes with experience. You know, every single one of those things is different, and there's yeah, like you said, there's some that you you know you have to almost pester so bad they fling themselves off the perch. There's others yeah. where you just have to gently put it up to their nose and just give them a little nudge, and they'll open their mouth. They won't even wrap it. They'll just open their mouth yeah. and start eating it. You know, yep. you just yep. I've had a few like that you, too. Yeah, you just you just don't know. You got to try all these different little tricks, and they're yeah, they're all different and nothing but experience. Too bad that, you just got to have experience. Too bad there wasn't a, a, too bad there wasn't just a surefire method that we could say, hey, this is how it's done. This is how you do feeding trials because everybody's going to go through different experiences when when they, when they do it. Because um, I think the animals just don't, you know they all have different personalities. So um, you know some you, you, get, you ever get those ones with like they're just born and they just start snapping right off the tongs right away like no big like nothing you know you're gonna and you just think God couldn't they all be like that you know but unfortunately yeah. they're not. Yeah. Those yeah, are the teasers, it, it, right? Yeah. And the dreaded runners, I have them try to hop out of the tub, you know, like they'll just I've, – I've actually had them hop out of the, out of the tub. I had to yeah, pick them I, up off I, the floor. I have too. Yeah. I have too. They'll flop, yeah. they'll flop out of the tub, you know. Yeah. Yes. Like, yep. Oh, my God. Yep. You're trying to, trying to kill yourself. You're just trying to kill oh yourself. Oh, my God. Those guys, if you stay on them enough and antagonize them enough, and eventually they they get it. Like the one runner I had from this last clutch, snapping them down like candy now, no problem. But it took yeah. probably a good two to three months to get them there. Yeah. Yeah, it's very. And that's another thing too. Happens. Oh yeah, my and you know I, in my own experience, um, I get most maybe up to half of them feeding pretty well within the first month. Second month, I might get another half of the ones that are left to, to eat, and then by usually by the third to month, maybe a little longer, I usually have them all going by, by within three, maybe three and a half months. 
So it, it just takes time, you know. You just got to realize it's part of the process. Be patient and yep. uh, and just stay with it, and and they'll all eventually eat. I think. Yeah, I mean, I think there, like we talked about, there's some that are destined um, to not make it. But I think, yeah. you know, with ex- with experience, with enough experience, um, and 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 Buddy has more experience than any of us. But I I think it's you know you're talking about if I can get a baby chondro to come out of the egg and perch, I've got about a 95 percent chance of it of it being established. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, my first clutch, I had about a 60% mm. chance of the baby getting established. Huh. Um, but, you know, I, I think with enough experience, you know, you can get these things going in the way back. I think so, too. And I, I noticed the more I, more I do it, the, the easier it becomes. Because I think not, not just getting used to it, knowing what to expect, but, you know, you start to develop your own little technique. And, I mean, I still have moments where I'm like, screaming at these guys you know i, I gotta walk away like i'm just ready to pull my hair out of my head you know yeah. and uh, what i gotta yeah. do sometimes I'll, I'll put on like some relaxing moody like the sound of like uh you know uh, uh rain and uh, like some piano music in the back just to calm my nerves when i go in and do this because i know what i'm up against sometimes these guys can test you and yeah, they can again you gotta be you gotta be in the right frame of mind you, you really can't be uh, stressed out about anything you gotta you know don't go in already having something else be bothering you when you're going to do feeding trials you know you gotta, you gotta sure. be relaxed when you go in yeah because it can get buddy, tedious buddy what would you say your establishment rate is you know on on, on neos mm. you know you had a healthy neo you know come perched on you know it's perched and it's it's not deformed or it's not laying on the bottom of the Tub right. or whatever. What would you say your, yeah. your rate is of establishing meals? I'd say in the 90th percentile for sure. Yeah, yeah. That's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that's the trickiest part, you know, and, and, you know, especially if you're going to be making them available, you know, you want to make sure they're all feeding, you know. I mean, I, I try to make sure that if I'm going to let one go, that's eight, you know, at least 10 or 12 consecutive meals in a row off the tongs with no problems. Because even, if, oh, even yeah. if they've had three or four meals, you know, they could they could just refuse. They could just decide they're not going to eat again after that. You know, there's no guarantees. Right. You ever get the ones where you feed them one and they just kind of grab it and they just rip, they flip their neck and like flip it into the air. Like they just spit it out into the end and the pinky goes flying across the room. <laughs> you ever had one like that? <laughs> yes. Yes, I have. Yeah, sure. That's like what I'm talking about. Like, like, I don't want this. It's trying to say, I don't want no, this thing here. And it's trying to throw yeah, it away. It's like, it's like, this tastes like shit. Give me something <laughs> better. You know, they, they grab yeah, it. Yeah, throw it across the room. It's yeah. terrible. It's almost funny, yeah. you know, but it's it's crazy. It is crazy. Keith, how many, uh, so- how many do Oh, Keith, I was going to ask you, how many of the animals that you produce, uh, how many of the babies this year do you think are, are you going to sell? Are, are you keeping most of them? Are you selling most? Um, I, I, I'm going to hold back some as I always do, you know, and it's always tricky picking the holdbacks. You know, you, you look for certain things that may be different that stand out from the other ones or, you know, you try to imagine it's, it's a first-time pairing and you really don't know what these adults are going to, what they're going to look like when they color up. So it's kind of a crapshoot when you're trying to pick out holdbacks on, on animals that you haven't produced before. Like if you do the same pairing, yeah. like if I do the Manicquarie Cyclops again, I'll have a better idea which ones I might want to hold back. 
But sure. these pairings are right. kind of in the dark, so I'm just kind of but, – but I will definitely hold some back, and uh, I'm hoping for more females because I've just got a lot too many males in my collection co- compared to the females I have. So, um, but, yeah, I'll be making most of – I mean, I already am, you know. Um, most are available now as we speak. And, again, you know, my biggest criteria is making sure they go to a good, good home and someone's going to take care of them properly. Way more important. Yeah, it's kind, of our, it's kind of our wrap-up question. Um, and, you know, what are, what are your thoughts on the current uh, green tree market? Like, when you, when you post these animals, you say, ah, looking for a new home, available. Are you getting good response from legitimate people? Are you getting people lowballing you, crazy offers? Or um, what? Well, you know, I uh, I, I, I haven't had – I really haven't had enough experience where I've sold a ton of them, but, you know, I have sold some over the years now, and I do have quite a few available and, and more that are going to hatch next week that will be available. So I've got to definitely uh, up my game as far as uh, marketing these things and, and – and selling them, I've actually got a, a page on Morph Market now. Try and um, and yeah. social media, you know, you got to be careful how you word it. You got to use the, you know, the little picture of the airplane, you yeah. know, you know that trick, right? Yeah, right, um, right. And but you know, I get a lot of tire kickers, you know, where you, you just do. get bombarded with a million questions. They want to see pictures yeah. of the parents and this and that, and you're going along with it, and then all of a sudden they just don't write back, They're, and then they just fell off the face of the earth after you just spent like two hours, like communic, you know, trying to show them stuff about the snake. So you got to deal yeah, with that. It's frustrating. Um, it's frustrating. And it's hard to pick them out. It's hard to know where it's going to go. So you really kind of just got to go along with it with, with everybody um, and just hope, you know, that something might happen. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of great people out there too. I've got some repeat customers that have bought, you know, two, three animals from me. Um, and I got people that are, you know, wanting more. I've got a few from these last few clutches that are on hold right now. And, um, and you know, I you, you can't keep them all. You know, I wish I could, but you know, no. Um, it's uh, I think the market. I think there's more demand than supply when it comes to good U.S. captive-born and bred animals. I think that uh, agreed. This, uh, but I think it's the opposite when it comes to wild-caught imports and farm-bred. I think there's a, I think this is pretty saturated. If you look on uh, Mark Market now, or some of these like King Snake or Fauna. There's so many, you know, four hundred, five, six hundred dollar animals available. I don't know if you've noticed that. And these these are all no. imported animals. We're, um, there's a ton of them, and I thought that was going to start getting less and less because of some of the laws changing and being able to export these animals out of Indonesia and whatnot. Um, but right, apparently, right. they're still coming through. There's still tons of them coming through. Huh. So I, no, I, I you know. I, and, I, I'm not familiar um, with that, only because I haven't looked. I mean, I, I've gone on Morph Market, and I've looked um, at a couple of uh, things that are available, um, but it's always, you know, you can, weed, you can weed stuff out there, like on Morph Market. So I'll just, I'll usually look at, like, designer uh, animals, and there's very few animals available there. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, yeah, Exactly. And designer, or even just captive born and bred locale animals, you know, like arrows sure. or, uh, you know, BX. Um, but these, you'll, you'll see, if you go on there, you'll see a lot of these very, a lot low price, like under, even under 500 bucks, 600 bucks animals available. And wow. You know, how, how do you explain to somebody, especially if they're buying one for the first time, 
why would I want to spend 2000 on your snake when I can get this one for 500 bucks? You know I mean? Because they don't know right. the difference, you know? Yeah. So, yep. and again, yep. I was one of those people, you know, I didn't want to spend that kind of money. Sure. First, so I, I bought the cheaper ones and I learned the hard way from it, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yep. And I'm not saying you, you could get it, you know, you could get lucky sometimes. Or you can yeah. buy a, uh, you know, well, it's like I said, you can buy a, a Bushmaster animal from, from uh, Clockwork and you, you're going to have a good animal, even though it's not a captive born and bred. But, you know, for the, for the most part, I think you're really taking a chance buying these uh, imports if you don't know where it's coming from. And you're going to have to deal with all kinds of internal, external parasites and, and just all kinds of crap. You know, nidovirus, that's a whole other topic right there, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah. 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 So, yeah. Um, uh, first. For, for sure, it's good, you know it's just good to get your perspective on because uh, you know you've got babies that are uh, you know either available now or going to be up and coming available and you know I I just uh, the purpose of this show is not to promote people to come on and sell animals but I know that you uh, you know you've got good animals and you've got good quality and you're reputable and so if somebody's listening to the podcast and they want to keep Keith Flax animal. I, I hope they reach out to you. Well, thank, thanks Absolutely. for the plug. I didn't want to shamelessly plug my own stuff, but I appreciate that. Thanks. <laughs> well, why don't you tell us, t- tell the listeners where they can, how, what's the easiest way to get in touch with you, Keith? Um, Facebook is probably the best. Keith Flax, F-L-A-X. Uh, I have a page I made called Beautiful Creatures Reptiles, which basically shows all the different animals I work with. Besides green tree pythons, I've got, you know, the emeralds. I've got four northern emeralds. I've got two uh, uh, Corallus Bittesi, you know, the Amazon basins. I've got Amazon tree boas, which I breed also. And uh, I've got a pair of Brazilian rainbow boas that breed for me every couple of years. So, nice. you know, I, I, I want to eventually phase out of some of these other ones and focus more just on the green trees and the uh, and the emeralds, but... But there's so many great snakes besides the arboreal stuff. You know, I mean, I just, I love them all. And like I said, it's just a passion I've had since I was a kid. Like I said, seven years old, catching snakes in the woods. And, you know, to this day, just, uh, I, get, I get a lot of satisfaction from this. Well, all right, my friend. Uh, again, we can't thank you enough for spending a couple hours with us on uh, episode 32. Episode 32, History was made tonight. 32 in the book. (laughs) It was great talking to you, Bill and Buddy. You guys uh, rock. Uh, Honored to be on the show with you. And uh, anytime you want to hit me up and have me back, let me know, man. I'd be more than happy to. Absolutely. Keith, thanks for joining us. It's much appreciated. The the guests make the show. And without guests like you, we don't have a show. So thank you for deciding to be on, on air with us. All right. Thank you. You guys take care. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks. Yep, you too. Have a good night. All right. All right. Bye. Thanks. Thanks. Bye. Thanks, buddy. Yeah. Uh, we'll do it again in a couple months. You bet we will. Episode 33. <laughs> 33. That's my favorite year. number. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. Is it really? Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, well, we'll have to we'll have a very we'll – make sure we have an amazing <laughs> guest for that one. Hmm. Hmm. All okay. right, we'll put our thinking caps on. All right, Bill. Well, thank you. Uh, it was a great show. Thanks. Keith, uh, man, just perfect example of, you know, coming into the hobby, trying to figure it out, get just, get it all together and start producing babies and 
What a, what yeah. a great example for everyone to follow. Yep. Yep, absolutely. Uh, it can be done. There's nothing crazy magical about it. Be persistent, be consistent. And, uh, you know, it's not, it's not rocket science. Nope. All right, my friend. All right, my friend, you, you have a good week and, uh, I will talk to you soon. All right, Bill. That's it. Episode 32 in the books.